The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. Nerdapalooza, the world's largest nerd music festival, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other fine Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Hello, this is Weird Al Yankovic, and you're listening to Nerdy Show. Baby, don't you know that I can love you more? If I were capable, you know I would for sure. But that's unrealistic, and after all, I'm just one monster. How I Met Your Mothra is recorded in front of a live studio audience. Beloved monster family, the king of all monsters is home. Joust, Geigen, Miniilla, kids. What, are they at building kicking class? Oh, Mothra dear. Sweetie. I bet you're in the kitchen. No, um, not in the kitchen. Where the heck is everybody? Could see a lot better if there were some lights on in here. Go green, she says. I am green. I'm God freaking Zilla. I'm the greenest there is. Click. Click. No, just a miniilla. Why are you wearing a lampshade on your head? I'm a lamp. I'm a lamp, he says. Sweetie, why are you a lamp right now? No reason. I am but a humble lamp. Well then, lamp. Where's your mommy? She took cows to the show Beechin Salon to get her horn buffed. It's gonna take a lot more than those small beauties to make that girl presentable. Yeesh. Where's your brother, Gigan? Nowhere. Son, your brother has anti-gravity flight, not dematerialization. Yes, me not to say. Teach a child to be polite and curious in the home, and when he grows up, he'll never be able to merge his car to the freeway. <sighs> Son, would you rather tell on your brother... Or feel the might of the guy who can keep you indoors with the TV off for the entire summer. Oh, please. Please don't. <laughs> That's more like it. He went out with those multicolored human kids. You have got to be kidding me. When I get a hold of that kid, he's going to wish he was never hatched. <laughs> At least he didn't ask what happened to the lamp. that <laughs> Welcome to Nerdy Show Prime. Nerdy Show's monthly blockbuster episode where we dig deep into a single nerdy subject, interview the biggest guests, and in some instances, you decide what we each talk about. This is one such instance, and the topic is giant monsters and their natural enemies. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Brandon. And with us, we have the hosts of Wicked Anime, our twice-a-month anime podcast here at Nerdy Show. We got the stupid awesome analyst, Jonathan. Hey, that's me. And a hard man with harder opinions, Andrew. Hello. We dare you to tell them apart. Yeah, that's, you're not going to be able to. It's not going to happen. Nope. 
But with their powers combined, they form a extremely awesome duo of uh, Japanime knowledge. And um, here we are. We're talking about giant monsters. We better have all of our all of our best <laughs> weapons at our sides because uh, Brandon and I, we ain't got shit on these two. Nope. We'll bring the angsty teen attitude to destroy this topic. <laughs> How tall does a monster have to be before it's considered a giant monster? I need to know things like that, please. Well, okay, so we have um, <laughs> two different specifications here. Mm. We got something between kaiju and daikaiju. Now, a kaiju is a regular size monster, typically. Typically, it's something that you see in tokusatsu or sentai that's just a monster that they fight. Now, when you have the bad guy turn them into a giant monster, that's when they become a daikaiju. Oh, and you mean like when Queen Rita comes out and she's like, grow! That's a daikaiju. Yeah. Grow! <laughs> <laughs> Before yeah. we get two balls deep into this already quite in-depth and informational giant monsters discussion, I should say that in this episode, we're going to be interviewing some awesome people. We're going to be talking to... Simon Strange of Sunstone Games, the guy who's been a creative force behind some of the best regarded giant monster fighting games of all time from the uh, PS and PS2 era. He's developing a game called Colossal Kaiju Combat, which is a fan-funded game. And also, we're talking with Matt Frank, a fan-favorite giant monsters, particularly Godzilla artist, who's done some work on IDW's Godzilla comic series, various titles from that, and he's also the character designer of Kaiju Combat. So basically, we're interviewing two people that are currently working on Kaiju Combat. Right, and Matt Frank works on IDW's, you know, various Godzilla titles. Mm -hmm. And also, I got a chance to talk with Eric Powell, creator of The Goon at Heroes Con. He was the first author to take on Godzilla at IDW, and he had a pitch that Toho rejected. So he shares that with us in this clip. Plus, Pacific Rim is out, so we've got our thoughts on that movie later on in this episode. This episode's been a long time in development, and we got two awesome people to thank for that, Big Bad Shadow Man and Berto Elcon. This was a fan-funded episode of Nerdy Show Primes. So they chose the topic, and we uh, we answered. Way, way, way back when, we did an event to commemorate this. Uh, it was kind of going to be a 50-50 thing. We were going to do a shorter Nerdy Show Prime episode, and then also a movie marathon. It was actually our inaugural movie marathon was a Gamera movie marathon. We watched a crap ton of the original Gamera films, most of them. And then followed it up with the Gamera trilogy, which Big Bad Shadow Man generously sent our way. And uh, old Gamera, funny derpy turtle with rocket hooves. <laughs> rocket hooves. <laughs> and uh, oh my god, 90s Gamera, some of the best giant monster stuff I've ever, ever seen. He also sent us Godzilla vs. Biollante recently, which I watched. And uh, that was the first Godzilla film I've ever seen, actually. I don't think it was the best introduction to the Godzilla franchise. I but gotta say, though, Biollante is a horrifying monster. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's definitely an interesting one i like the first form best perhaps but i feel like there could have been a lot more done with it we'll get into that later anyway uh so thanks to those guys for waiting this long and this actually clears the plate once this episode is out why we can open the doors again to uh, a whole new era of you guys choosing topics for nerdy show <laughs> with faster turnaround as in we will not ever take one of these on again Unless we have finished those that have come before. And know that we can do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of the things that's delayed development of this episode so long, in fact, is that we were trying to get a couple very high profile interviews. And we came very close to doing it. We wanted to talk with Guillermo del Toro, amazing director, huge fan of monsters in general, who's right now directing a uh, giant monster film called Pacific Rim, an original giant monster property. And we were also going to talk with Travis Beecham, the writer of that film. It was about to happen, but Warner Brothers is actually interested in holding off. Will we get those interviews? I certainly hope so. We came very close to it, and uh, if we can, we will have an interview with both those guys sometime later this year. But so for now you got stuffed. Yeah, well, 
I mean, it's pretty much how it goes as you set up these interviews and then last minute, some legal guy comes out and says, well, we can't actually do them for another few months. Sorry. And then yeah, they're like, whoa, oh, whoa, wait a second. Yeah. It's pretty much last moment when these things happen. It's really too bad, too, because Guillermo del Toro is easily my number one favorite director. I just I, just, I love Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. It's like my favorite movies. Uh, he's incredible. In fact, Big Bad Shadow Man's requested us to do a microsode on the topic of him. We'll see if maybe, well, maybe that'll coincide with him. <laughs> anyway, guys. That's all the um, the insider info on how this episode came to be and what's in store for the future and what's in store for later in this episode. But right now, we got to talk about giant monsters. As they're conventionally understood in this whole Godzilla giant monster destroying buildings framework, it's very much a creation of the 20th century. But in fact, you know, the idea does go back a lot farther. How far human, does it go back? As far back as human imagination, more or less. You know, you could chalk it up to other things that inspired Godzilla, dragons and such. In fact, Guillermo del Toro, um, one of his reference pieces, one of the things he's, he looks to for inspiration for uh, Pacific Rim, is a uh, Francisco Goya painting uh, called The Colossus of uh, a giant man walking behind some mountains and a town in a valley, sort of trying to capture that, uh, that sense of scale and un- uneasiness that uh, it evokes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, we can all agree today, though, that the best monster movie ever made <laughs> is obviously, by far, hands down, Godzilla 2000 with Matthew Broderick. <laughs> that, Clearly I, the you, best you have, monster you, movie ever. Oh, Brandon, you, you have just created a train wreck of information. I'm just saying, yeah, I mean, the okay, writing, you, the no, directing, <laughs> the acting. That is Godzilla. I mean, that is Godzilla. Yeah. 1998. Oh, it's 1998? It's not yeah, Godzilla 2000 is another movie, and that's actually made by Toho. Oh, yeah, what I meant to say <laughs> was Godzilla 1998. I think 2000 was actually good. Yeah. Brandon, you know there's a new Godzilla movie being made, right? Being Amer- made currently? American Godzilla film. See, the thing is, I don't have to know that because I'm always going to assume someone somewhere is currently working on a Godzilla film. There will always be new Godzilla films. <laughs> well, there hasn't been for 10 years. They've probably been working on it for a long time. Yeah, I've been working on it for a while. Yeah. Um, I'm w- still waiting on the next Gamera movie because that's really what I want. Yeah, I would definitely dig that if the same people that did the 90s camera was involved. Can you tell me about the new one? Do you know anything can, about it? I can tell you some stuff about the new one. Right. Um, 100% less Matthew Broderick. 100% less, yeah. Well, I, now I'm not going to see it. I hope Christopher Walken's in it then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's Godzilla. It has a, an interesting development cycle. And as you can imagine, like anything that's a big, well-known property, no one can decide what to do with it. But I think they've, they've figured something out. And actually, at last year's Comic-Con, they showed a preview that has not leaked online at all except for a single still, but it pretty much floored everybody that was there. Uh, it's directed by Gareth Edwards, and he's not known for anything ex- save one film, a, uh, a, a monster film, Great Britain sci-fi film from 2010. And the script's been written by a number of people, as you could imagine. It, does it keep getting revised and pushed but, back and revised and all that? Uh, yeah, that, that did happen. The good news is, the last person to do a pass on the script, and they've already started filming, so this is legit, is Frank Darabont, the guy behind Shawshank Redemption, and who started the Walking Dead television series and created that amazing first episode. So what you're saying is there's going to be a lot of emotions and crying in this Godzilla <laughs> movie. Godzilla is going to floor, like, he's going to nuke a town and then he's going to start crying and, like, cutting himself and going, why? <laughs> and then he gets sent to jail. Yeah. Well, what I do know about it is that uh, Godzilla's said to be fighting monsters in this film and not just combating Matthew Broderick and the military. Now, is this oh, like, cool. is he fighting monsters over where he should be, like in Japan, or has he made his way to America? Okay, well, here's a possible plot synopsis. This comes from a piece of, uh, I'm not sure if it's casting or some, basically some kind of industry paperwork hiring in Vancouver where they were filming. The monster is awakened by an undersea explosion and wreaks havoc on the citizens of Tokyo. Okay, so in Japan. 
good. As far as I know. Not like Space Tokyo. This is not by any means <laughs> confirmed. And the movie comes out in May 2014. So who, who the wow. fuck knows? Okay, cool. Here's a weird thing, though. A little something to think about while we're talking about all this stuff. Both films, both Godzilla and Pacific Rim, are being produced by Legendary Pictures and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mm. Both of them. Mm. And at WonderCon this year, Del Toro expressed enthusiasm in a potential crossover between Pacific Rim and Godzilla. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. That would and be make cool. a sex LR. <laughs> <laughs> Just for no but reason. He stressed that no such plans were actually in place. However, holy crap. I mean, other than Toho putting their big rubber stamp on it, what else do you need? I mean, essentially, both movies are going to come out. If they both do well, then I think they'll make another movie where they basically combine them. I'm, I mean, how do you combine them? I don't know, because... They fight each other, whatever, or whatever's going on well, in Pacific Rim. The, the world in <laughs> Or Pacific... they fight alongside each other. Right. Yeah. There you go. The, the world in Pacific Rim sounds pretty well fleshed out. They'd have to be doing some very specific tweaking to make, you know, a re-adaptation Obviously, of Godzilla. Obviously, a nuclear reactor goes off in Japan, and Godzilla gets sucked into another dimension, and <laughs> then he's suddenly in wherever Pacific Rim well, is. Well, there you go. <laughs> Done. Well, I just wrote just, it. Now do it. I or mean, you could just run it like a regular Japanese film. I mean, Japanese films, when they make sequels in Japan, they're made to not be aligned at all. Like, they're, <laughs> they're supposed no to be completely new stories. So let's just make a crossover movie with Godzilla and Pacific Rim for the crap of it. American audiences cannot handle that. No, my brain. <laughs> no, I, I won't know. I'll have to go online. I can't. I don't know what's going on in the movie. It was actually speculated for a while that the big the big surprise of Pacific Rim that was, was that, oh my God, Godzilla zillas in it but uh let's get more in depth with with giant monsters well here okay the other day yes. i ate here, and here's an analogy i i ate way too much cheese right okay. and you know i was on the toilet and i was thinking to myself giant monsters are a lot like my poops you know they're stubborn they're large um they're you know they can sometimes cause explosions and there's sometimes lots of blood involved so it was a pretty good analogy in my mind what do you think well how, how much radiation was involved a lot a yeah. lot. How, a many, lot of how many rads? <laughs> 57. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how many rads are involved. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you're, welcome. you're well. I'm just putting my, my two poops in there for you, if you will. In Thanks. mythology, you know, like, like we were saying, we got uh, any large thing the human mind can imagine. An unconventional giant monster not often referred from, say, popular fiction that early 20th century predating King Kong and such, Cthulhu, and all the other creatures created by H.P. Lovecraft that are so large they defy human reasoning. Yep. Definitely a big inspiration for a lot more modern monsters, actually. I don't know that it ever really entered into the minds of the people creating some of the Yeah, because Cthulhu is relatively monsters. new. New, but not newer than giant monsters. Newer, I mean, predates, you know, like I said, predates King Kong. It's a 20th century idea, mm -hmm. but, well, or at least... It's a 20th century creation. The idea itself is much older, but... Um, I mean, there's lots of myths and legends of giant monsters and phoenixes and dragons dating back you know, yeah. thousands of years. Don't know where they came from. Um, Obviously stories. Grendel from Beowulf, mm -hmm. meant to be larger than human. We could go on, but I think we all know why we're here. The motherfuckers that beat each other up and stomp on buildings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is that? The wolf, the dinosaur, and the monkey guy. Right. Okay, got it. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> Rampage. Rampage. Rampage, yes. Oh, shit, of course. <laughs> oh, snap. Jeez. <laughs> it was fun. How weird was it when that lizard just turns into a nude woman? I mean, when I was a teenage, like, I'm not a preteen even, like, I was like, I was in the arcade, it's like, oh my god, can they do that in a video game? I would just keep getting to that scene and watch it over and over again. <laughs> yeah. A, give you a reason to die. Mm. In the N64 updated version, the World Tour game, they didn't cover themselves up. Whoa. You can see Pixel Wang for, for some of them. Yeah. On a Nintendo that's system? Balding, that's, Nintendo. that's the one thing they've never censored. Wow. Mm-mm. Mm. mm. <laughs> 
I'm just going to watch scenes online. Yeah. I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> okay. So, um, King Kong, King Kong is what inspired Godzilla. And then- yeah. Yeah, is if it you really? think about it, I mean, yeah. kaiju is a Japanese term, but King Kong actually is te- the first kaiju. Yeah, technically, he's the first Hollywood kaiju or movie kaiju. And that was like back in the 1930s. Wow, and that actually predates any Godzilla stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yep. As a matter of fact, the Toho Company of Japan, who is like nowadays, like the Universal Studios of Japan, they took a lot of influence from King Kong itself to create what they have now as their franchise, which is the kaiju movies. So you're saying they owe us. They, they once again <laughs> stole something from well, America. You know, they, they, you know they, they owe us even further for Godzilla because Godzilla was inspired by the nuclear holocaust at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, so they owe us, they they owe us, us twofold. They owe us for bombing them. <laughs> yeah, they owe yeah. I think, yeah. <laughs> Good thing we don't have any Japanese listeners, or that, that would upset I'm just, them. I'm just saying. That, I'm so glad they've forgiven I'm, us for that. that I, am, I am sorry. I don't know. I, honestly, I think the secret is they haven't. Honestly, I was, in, in watching Godzilla versus Biollante, I don't think they have. No. <laughs> I, I had a teacher one of my animation teachers who lived in Japan for a while and he said that a lot of them are happy about it that it happened because it saved them from governmental tyranny wow back to giant monsters right, back to giant yeah. monsters yeah the atomic age is really beyond the inspiration of King Kong the atomic age is what inspired these things because I mean there's a message in most of these films like don't screw with the environment don't yeah. screw with things that you have no don't, control don't screw with nature don't let science be irresponsible it inevitably always comes back to the atomic bomb and then like even um, global warming and such mm-hmm. but like before it was something that was very rampant in the public consciousness the Japanese were dealing with that in their films in kind of a more theoretical really schlocky bad sci-fi kind of way but you know it was on their minds it worked for the time yeah it still makes sense i mean they're still making godzilla movies now and kaiju movies which has got to say that like it means something to them just the fact that they you know keep on making them it's just almost like it's a cultural thing i I don't know what to compare to here if you give me a little bit of time you probably think something to compare to i think it's a lot like james bond but that's a british thing well, it was. It's kind of a hybrid at this point. I don't really know what it, it is. They, ma- they make those British films with Hollywood money, so you tell me yeah. whose it is. It's like the Saw movies over here. <laughs> they <laughs> yeah. just keep going and going. They just, it's just a cultural thing. You don't know why. Do you think the, the new like nuclear disaster over there has kind of sparked more interest in creating Godzilla films? I don't think so. No. <laughs> You're like, no. No, definitely not. But now Godzilla could well, come out of another side of Japan. Well, I mean, true. Toho has extended the license to America again. So, but that's bad. Yes. I don't know what it is. Is it? Well, well, Matthew well, Broderick's going to be. Godzilla it. doesn't end up being pregnant again. It just turns into City Jurassic Park. Oh my god! Yeah, that was really. <laughs> I love Jurassic Park City. It's my favorite simulation game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that he... was terrible. <laughs> Fuck you, Matthew Broderick. I'm sure he had it's everything not, to do with that movie. Fault. I don't it care. Is not his How do you fault. go from Ferris Bueller to that donkey shit? <laughs> it was. <laughs> well, did you see Tower Heist? I don't know, man. <laughs> anyway, if well, since we're on the subject of Godzilla, since we're talking about, we're this, always on the subject of Godzilla. This new thing, we, you know, I think we're probably going to be on the subject of Godzilla for most of the show, so that's fair. But um, the Comic Con presentation here's a here's a blow by blow description of the trailer that everybody saw. The idea is that this is going to be something that is actually for Godzilla fans and puts what people love about classic Godzilla in a format that will attract modern audiences. So he's got two machine guns now. Totally giant, <laughs> giant machine guns. Unfolding to Robert Oppenheimer's I Am Become Death, the Destroyer of Worlds speech, the trailer started with some footage of huge urban devastation, shots of buildings smashed to peaches, pieces. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> buildings smashed to peaches. 
They were cobbled. (laughs) (laughs) Why won't my mouth work today? I like Smash to Peaches. I love that. I want a shirt that says that now. That sounds like a good band. (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, check out my band, Smash to Peaches. (laughs) We catch a glimpse of a train apparently trampled by a giant foot and then a building with a huge hole through the middle as though Godzilla had walked right through it. And then a curving shot finds Godzilla or some kaiju's body apparently dead on the ground. Arms revealed as Oppenheimer talks about Visha's many arms. Cut to a logo and the famous Godzilla roar, and then we're back to a shot of Godzilla alive. The shot tracks up his back, and it comes to head level, just in time for him to turn around, show his slightly stub-snouted face, and roar again. And uh, they said the creature design is astonishing, it's very grounded. And that description was from a bleedingcool.com article that was published just after the <coughs> Comic-Con presentation. You know what that reminds me of? Hmm. Cloverfield. Well, we don't we don't talk about that, but I think that was an amazing monster movie. I've actually never seen it. <laughs> oh, screw yeah, you, dude! I, I really wanted to. It's, yeah, it's really good. It's really good. It's so good, dude. If you like J.J. Abrams, I I do. Yeah, At least okay, I then, you'll, then you'll definitely like it. I think I do. Damn, you haven't seen it. <laughs> You're gonna have to stay up till four a.m. tonight again. No. <laughs> so one thing that the director said at this presentation was the film is grounded. And there's nothing sci-fi about it. And I think that's that's a weird thing to say. Nothing sci- Isn't Godzilla in itself sci-fi? Technically, like how he's, you know, where he comes from. So is it fantasy? What is it? Because there's a giant monster walking around. It's not (laughs) sci-fi? That's the only other thing that I can think of is fantasy. Well, it could be modern age. Like, maybe he means sci-fi in the sense that it's a modern day. Like, we're not shooting lasers at Godzilla or anything like that. Maybe he really did just walk into a nuclear chemical plant, which exists. Right. And then the military fights him, which exists. So we won't see a hovering Super X2 fighter with a mirror thing that blasts his nuclear beams back at him. Yeah, or (laughs) giant space lasers. Well, we've got giant space lasers now, right? So it's not really sci-fi if we use them? I think we have space missiles. I don't know if we've gotten to lasers yet. (laughs) All right, so let's cut to our first track. This is from Tribe One's Dirty South Swamp Thing EP. It's called Kaiju, Crush, Kill, Destroy. Attention, everyone. This is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. Crush, kill, destroy everything. Crush, kill, destroy. 
Guys, I haven't watched a lot of giant monster films. Okay. I really haven't. There was this thing on TV back when I was a kid called Sushi Cinema. I'm not not sure how racist that is. Um, <laughs> Just uh, a little. <laughs> and they'd show old old Japanese films of a variety, and sometimes they're giant monster stuff, but mostly it was funky movies about like Mossman and other weird Japanese shit. So I didn't really get as much giant monster exposure as I probably should have. The Gamma movies, the modern ones, really truly blew my mind. I mean, they're uh, as far as things post Jurassic Park, like film productions inspired by Jurassic Park, we had mm-hmm. countless pointless monster films that came out of that fanaticism and people realizing that they could maybe do something similar on a smaller budget but really i feel that these gamma films are the only worthy successors of the influence that jurassic park had on cinema they're so fucking good you know i first heard of gamma actually when mst3k did yep. like a viewing of it and a spoof of it and that's when i first learned of gamma which i, I thought yep. was funny i think a lot of people did i mean yeah. there's the gamma song Camera. It's a beautiful song. And, and the old Gamera films are bad. I mean, it's a turtle with rocket legs. Yeah, but it's good he, bad. And, and he's a friend to all children. Do you think baby Gameras are what they use in Mario Kart for blue shells? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would make sense. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> Do you think that Bowser has taken an influence from the uh, kaiju genre? Oh, hmm. That's actually a good question. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he kind of has like the snub nose thing going on for as far as a Godzilla creature goes. And Godzilla got, like, looks like bits. a chubby kitty, a chubby, scaly, <laughs> mud covered kitty cat. I don't, I don't see that, but I guess you do for some reason. So, um, I mean, Bowser, Bowser or Koopa or whichever fucking one you're talking about, he is giant in some of the games. Yeah, I'm, I don't I'm know talking anymore. specifically about King Koopa from the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Bowser from the video games. Well, he is he is gigantic in Mario 64, but in the other games, he's really small. Well, he has exploded in size in the past. There was a there was a. Well, I think he only started off small because of like graphical oh, limitations. Sure. There was stuff. a crazy thing that happened in what like Smash Brothers Melee. Oh yeah, where, the, where they introduced Giga, Giga yeah. Bowser. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was scary. I guess he does have some. In, you know, he does take influence from that. Um, we didn't talk about hentai monsters yet. There's giant monsters all over hentai. <laughs> That's right. Well, all and, over. I don't know that and, much. And, okay, so we got to touch on two very important things here. Two things that probably overshadow most aspects of this conversation, obviously. I mean, obviously. That is hentai monsters and um, macrophilia. Like, we just, we got to <laughs> oh. touch on these things. Explain macrophilia to me. 
Uh, macrophilia is a mostly internet-based fetish of someone being gigantic and possibly using buildings as dildos. Oh, <laughs> guys, we haven't even talked about hentai on our show yet. Yeah, <laughs> well, this is going to be a first. We're breaking new ground and a whole lot more. But you know, you got your little blue girl. There's right. some giant <laughs> monsters in there. Which was the first one? No. Yeah. What about Arats? Well, there's no. been Aratsuka Doji. Yeah, oh yeah, she, technically yeah. it was Aratsuka Doji. Yeah, that's right. That's pretty much all I've watched. <laughs> have you have you seen like the classic painting? It's like an Edo period painting of the woman, and there's like an octopus around her. Yeah, like, that was the first <laughs> tentacle ever. It was like way back in ancient Japan art. <laughs> they love it. So they've just yeah. been perverted since their whole existence. Well, I mean, it's a cultural oh, yeah. thing. I mean, uh, the octopus is a major part of Japanese culture. And sexual experience. Well, In fact, I've learned that when you become a man over there, you must mate with an octopus. Do you not know of, of the, the ritual ceremony where the young girl wa wanders to the tide pool and opens herself up to the tide so that an octopus may find its way inside? <laughs> Is it red tide? Because it, it will be, be when she's done. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, how about some fact? Did you know the reason why <laughs> they created the tentacle monster? No. It's so that they could get around um, the censorship, the laws. censorship laws. Yeah, because you know how in Japan, all regular pornography is censored. Yes. Well, if it's not a real human bit, then they don't need to censor it. Oh, uh, so. OK. Well, you were saying that there was something before La Blue Girl. I saw La Blue Girl on, on yeah. a, uh, a bootlegged VHS in high school, probably. Awesome. All I, I, all I probably I, passed those around, actually. All I really remember is that her pubic hair turned into a bunch of golden needles and shot into someone's eye. Oh, she, yeah, that's one of her moves. She's like, strong as steel. And they turn into little spikes and shoot at someone. That it definitely blew my mind more than anything else in there. That was the most unexpected thing that happened. <laughs> it was also um, the age before they knew how to animate rough sex. So all like rape scenes were still very casual and traditional. Huh. I, I'm not even really sure I can piece the all that together in my brain but <laughs> so, so tell me about this first thing Oroskodoji is that live action or animated anime do they make a live action I know they made a live yes, action the blue girl yes oh no maybe that's right then maybe that's what I'm thinking of I, I, I'm not sure if they made a live action Oroskodoji but Oroskodoji is four parts I want to say and each of them are like an hour long and they're very very story based hentais believe it or not and there are like giant monsters and like demon penises that attach to humans and you get the demon aids and turn into a, a monster <laughs> oh man you got the demon aids son yeah. how, how long ago was that made i want to say it was an 80s anime probably an 80s mm -hmm. uh, like like we said it was one of the first tentacle hentais ever released yeah wow it's a specialized oh thing what i think is interesting about the, the macrophilia thing is that to someone who's really into it i'm sure it's not particularly funny but it's mostly funny yeah. <laughs> I want to say generally, if you have a fetish, you realize it is bizarre and weird because thanks to Japan, I have a lot of fetishes now. Um, <laughs> macrophilia not being one of them. I might. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, yeah. Neither of us are macrophiliacs. Anyway, yeah, I think you do have a realization of this is weird, but I don't care. I like it anyway. This is my fetish. Being weird, fine. You know, we all got those. 
but I think macrophilia more than most is just pretty funny. If you put a building in your butthole, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't need to be giant to try, start doing that. Just go up to any like bank or like building on the corner. Just try to shove some of it in your butt and just just keep going until you can get as much in, as possible and just see what happens because shit's going to get real. It's going to be hilarious. Okay, this is a nerdy show. This we condone not, this. This is not a formal. We condone this. It, we, this is not advice. This is how. What, what is that thing so when they is, protest against Wall Street? This, this is, is how they should have done it. This is not a call to action. This is how they should have done it. Start putting Wall Street in their butt. That would have had way better results. And I think the pepper spray would have burned a lot more in certain crevices. Whatever. So. They're still going to have to clean the poop off the bricks at the end of the day. So you still win. Wall Street's going to smell like poopy. Anyhow. What has happened? What is happening here? I don't know. I'm bringing up some pictures of macrophilia. And then I, the, the other intuit is that maybe you want somebody to be giant so you can be normal sized, but also be small. Did you know, I, I read this somewhere, I forget where, I think it was on a Cracked article. Uh, apparently the parts that they cut out in the New Age version of these stories, but Gulliver's Travel is both sides of these stories. Really? Yeah. There's a, an opposite to the Lilliputian world. Yeah. And they both have sexual content in them. Hmm. I'm interested in that. I'm interested in reading ye old macrophilia. I need <laughs> yes. to point out. I need to point out because I just searched online for a bunch of macrophilia pictures. There's a lot of really giant men doing stuff with a lot of really tiny men. <laughs> and that's really what? all the images I'm getting right now. <laughs> I don't see buildings going in people. I see a man sitting on a building with a man sitting on his dong. No, if no, that's no, macrophilia, no. I'm not down. It's a, it's a lady. <laughs> I'm not really down. It's with a that. lady lying back on a train. Uh, she's gigantic. She's lying in the countryside with some train tracks between her legs, waiting for a train. That's yeah. macrophilia. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, it, you know, it's both kinds. But hey, Brandon, your search specifications—they know what you want. Apparently, no. Give into no. it. Nope. Okay. Anyway, are these giant monsters? Well, I guess it depends on what they're doing. Any abomination, you know, anything that is not average human is truly a monster. Did you know that Frankenstein fought giant monsters in Japanese cinema? Um, no. Yeah. Yeah, I want to say yes, but I don't remember anything specifically. These were Toho films in coordination with UPC in America. It's a giant Frankenstein and a, a giant monster. I haven't seen these things. I've only seen some posters. There's some articles I touched on but didn't really get too in-depth on when I was reading up on this. And in a lot of ways, you know, the rubber suit giant monsters, they're neat. They can do a lot of stuff, you know, technically speaking. It's easy to conceal places where explosions can come out and all that. But <laughs> something is a bit more disturbing when it's actually just a, a, a human-y thing, you know? Yeah, that's interesting because that brings up the kind of show like Ultraman, which that was a TV show and then Toho Company actually did some Ultraman movies for those as well. And, and what Ultraman is, is it's just a guy in a suit, you know, an alien suit that allows him to grow to giant sizes to fight monsters. Yeah. And, and Ultraman is a staple in the kaiju world because, well, I don't know if you want to get into this now, but he's one of the first defenders. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's only right that at some point we touch on the natural enemies of giant monsters, which would be the Ultramans, the Super Sentais. And apparently Frankenstein, as I'm looking at these images that are <laughs> yeah. creeping me. Teenagers with attitude. <laughs> Five teenagers with attitude, obviously. They, they are just like fire ants, those teenagers with attitude. <laughs> Giant monsters trying to have a picnic, bunch of teenagers with attitude, get on all their food. Um, sugar, spice, everything nice. Also, main ingredients to fight oh, yeah. monsters. What are Chemical you? X. <laughs> what, are, what are you Power talking about? Come on, Powerpuff Girls, get with it. Do I have to spell it out for you? I, um, I didn't grow up with cable television. 
Man, I didn't grow up with Powerpuff Girls. I was like in my teens watching that I shit. I didn't watch it. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, there's a new series coming out of it now, so. What? There was an anime series they made of it, too. Yep, Powerpuff Girls Z. <laughs> These guys are professionals. Yeah. <laughs> so Frankenstein looks like a giant caveman, and it's actually really creepy to see a gigantic man tear open the face of something that kind of looks like Godzilla, but it's kind of a ripoff, so it's not Godzilla. It's really <laughs> creepy looking, actually. He doesn't look like Frankenstein, just like a Neanderthal man. I imagine that Godzilla. <laughs> Based on the poster I saw, I, I imagine this being actually a lot more like the Francesco Goya painting, like just the disturbing image of, can you imagine me, a little kid, waking up at night and looking out over the, over the countryside and seeing a giant man lumbering through the mists of nightfall? That doesn't sound... Oh, holy crap, <laughs> actually, there is a brand new anime called Attack on Titan. Uh-huh. And it's about that. There, there's these um, <laughs> human, but there's a race of titans, they're giant people. And all normal humans have are living like for a hundred years. They've been living in these giant walled cities that are like a hundred meters high to keep all the titans out. Wow, that sounds and cool. It's a brand new series, and yeah. it's actually really good. Yeah, the the first episode was actually really terrifying. Like they, the sense of chaos that they created, and the sense of mortality, and the sense of fear was all very real and it's really really well written it yeah. was scary the sense of what would happen if a giant person who's really evil just walked through your town and destroyed it yeah the way they the way they described the titans was uh they didn't hunt the humans for food source but more for pleasure like they look like they enjoy it when they kill people and eat them wow yeah it's pretty terrifying that sounds awesome so has that been translated or is that how do you how do you how would Fan i watch sense. this Fan subs, we, okay. We have our websites where we get all of our cool stuff from. That That's where we get like all of our review material. Yeah. And for anybody out there who doesn't agree with that, if we like it enough, we will buy the DVDs of it afterwards. <laughs> it's <laughs> Just want to make that clear. Those are similar rules that I live by when it comes to import stuff that is not making it convenient for me to appreciate it in, in the way mm. common to a capitalistic <laughs> society. Ner- Nerdy Show's official stance is we only download things we already own. just because we can (laughs) so apparently there's this thing called chojin sentai jetman and Uh i don't know if it's a show or what but it features giant monsters based more on traffic lights faucets and tomatoes it says yeah on weird like objects instead of just gigantic monsters i too read that entry and i really want to know about that do you guys know anything about that no i don't it actually sounds like a lot like modern day like they modernized yokai and if you don't know what yokai is it's it's like um, ghosts that can take over materials, kind of like um, yeah, like the paper lantern monsters and the umbrella monsters and stuff like that. It sounds yeah. kind of like Sailor Moon problems. It looks like Power Rangers, <laughs> is what this show looks like. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have heard of it, but uh, I don't know too much about it. It's Power Rangers fighting giant sink monsters. It's pretty funny, <laughs> actually. Well, while we're on the subject of alternative giant monsters and historical giant monsters and stuff like that, how about some of the original giant monsters that we failed to mention? Sea monsters. And when we get back, we'll be talking with Simon Strange and Matt Frank. This is a song called Sea Monsters by Captain Dan and the Scurvy Crew from their record Rhymes of the Hip Hop Mariners. Yeah, hear stories of monsters in the waters, endless counts of horrific mad slaughter. Sailors tell tales of beasts on the sea, and what they don't tell you is that the worst one is me. Yeah, hear stories of monsters in the waters, endless counts of horrific mad slaughter. Sailors tell tales of beasts on the sea, and what they don't tell you is that the worst one is me. What we gonna do with sea monsters? What we gonna do with sea monsters? What we gonna do with sea monsters? We gonna kill them and grill them, we be the nautical monsters. What we gonna do with sea monsters? What we gonna do with sea monsters? What we gonna do with sea monsters? We gonna kill them and grill them, we be the nautical monsters. 
this flesh we be snacking. The pepper we packing's enough to burn up and blacken. The sea monsters be a meal, I agree. Chum in the breeze just fills me with glee. We hunt off the keys, our boons off the beat. We live off the stream and eat off the ski. A fish for me party, this is my fate for me hearties. I'm a water safari, giant squid calamari. Leviathan chowder and monster crab cakes. Our guns filled with powder, blow up serpent snakes. Kirby mates be the bait, there will be no debate. Fill them over with weights and then the bites we await. To fish giant surgeons, we use the fair virgins. They always be yearning for fresh meat submerged. Great whites never put up a great fight. They might if me crew hadn't taken a bite by the night. That's right. What we gonna do with sea monsters? What we gonna do with sea monsters? What we gonna do with sea monsters? We gonna kill them and grill them. We be the nautical mobsters. What we gonna do with sea monsters? What we gonna do with sea monsters? What we gonna do with sea monsters? We gonna kill them and grill them. We be the nautical mobsters. I say slap Leviathan in his chin. Wipe off his smug little grin. Send him for a spin back to where he's been. He tried to win, but his aisle is thin like the Kraken. Who I tore limb from limb from limb from limb. On a whim, snapped him like a slim jim. Much to his chagrin, what a has been. Chase his blood with gin. Sea monsters just can't win. I've made giant squid, an endangered species. Skyla, please, I killed her with these. Sea monsters freeze when they see me on the seas. When it comes to slaying them, I've got the expertise. I'm the greatest terror in all the ocean. Who over to you, Matt? This is your demotion. I skin the Yakumama and turn it into lotion. My rhymes keep the ocean in motion. What we gonna do with sea monsters? What we gonna do with sea monsters? What we gonna do with sea monsters? We gonna kill them and grill them. We be the nautical mobsters. What we gonna do with sea monsters? What we gonna do with sea monsters? What we gonna do with sea monsters? We gonna kill them and grill them. We be the nautical mobsters. Let's hear stories of monsters in the waters. Endless counts of horrific men. Slaughter. Sailors tell tales of beasts on the sea What they don't tell ya is that the worst one is me You hear stories of monsters in the waters And this counts of horrific manslaughter Sailors tell tales of beasts on the sea What they don't tell ya is that the worst one is me What we gonna do with sea monsters? What we gonna do with sea monsters? What we gonna do with sea monsters? We gonna kill them and grill them We be the nautical mobsters What we gonna do with sea monsters? What we gonna do with sea monsters? What we gonna do with sea monsters? We gonna kill them and grill them We be the nautical mobsters And now back to a very special episode of How I Met Your Mothra. Oh man, I've never drunk so much soda in my life. <laughs> what, really? Yeah, my mom says one can a day or my thanks will rot out. <laughs> well, you've already passed the initiation, Gigan. You've been doing pretty good. Yeah, dude, those hook arms really came in handy when you clawed over that fence. Yeah, I thought that Angurius was going to take a bite out of my butt for sure. I thought you could float. Well, I can't uh, really do it when I'm that nervous, though. <laughs> Are you nervous now, Gigan? Uh, a, a little, I guess. I know it could take the edge off. A marijuana cigarette. Oh, gosh. I, I, I don't know. Oh, come on, Gigan. Don't be a chicken. Yeah, I snuck them from my brother's college, buddy. He says it's the best weed around. It'll get you so high. Come on, Gagan, smoke a little weed, man. Can't be a green ranger if you don't smoke weed. I, uh, I, um... What will Gigan do? Turn to page 7 of your activity book to write what you would do if you were Gigan.
With us on the phone, we've got Simon Strange, the head of Sunstone Games, and Matt Frank, fan favorite Godzilla artist working on IDW's Godzilla comics and also the character design for Kaiju Combat. Hello, thanks for having us, Cap. Gentlemen, Kaiju Combat is something that I've been hearing about for a very long time, and it's all coming together. It's a giant monsters fighting game in the style of basically everybody's favorite giant monster fighting games. Yes, that's that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sums it up pretty well, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Simon, you developed some of the original Godzilla games that everybody knows and loves, like uh, Godzilla Destroy All Monsters Melee, Save the Earth, Unleashed. I was wondering how this independent project that you're, you know, you've started from the ground up came to be. Well, let's see. It actually, it started about one year ago. Basically, uh, Matt and I started talking about what it would take to, to do a new Godzilla game. I mean, all the time people yep. are saying, or is there going to be another Godzilla game, a fourth Godzilla game? You do a, a search for fourth Godzilla game or YouTube videos. When's there going to be a fourth Godzilla game? And I just come back from the GDC in March. And I really had this feeling that there was money out there. That was, that was the big uh, impression I got out of GDC. Everywhere I went, people were talking about Double Fine, getting all this money from Kickstarter. And I was like, maybe I could get enough money to license the engine and make the game. And I'm like, how cheaply could I make that game? Because, you know, I've made this game four or five times already. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I think I know exactly how to do it. And I think I, I have all the people. And I know exactly how to put it all together really cheaply. And I sort of came up with a number and I went to Kickstarter and... You know, I, I got Matt on board and sort of talked about it. It was unclear in the early stages exactly what his role would be or how big a, a role he would have. Uh, but we kind of got that number. We went to Kickstarter and we tried and we failed. <laughs> yeah. um, we didn't do enough press. Uh, my timing was bad. I, I started right before July 4th weekend. Uh, we didn't really have any sort of community built up ahead of time or anything. And I was just, you know, excited yeah. to get the money. I didn't have any time to put any art together or really much of anything. And it was funny because both Kickstarters, which we'll get to the second one, of course, but both Kickstarters went live right when I went on a big trip. So, <laughs> first time, of course, is when I was at G-Fest in Chicago, which is the big giant monster convention. So we failed, didn't get our money. We got, I think we raised $35,000, which the way Kickstarter works is we actually, you know, collect zero. Right. So uh, we had no money, but we had this idea, right? And now we had a, a list of a few hundred people who were interested in the project, but we couldn't just move forward with nothing. So then we kind of reached out and said, all right, well, some of you had said you were willing to pay $500 to get your monsters yep. developed. So I was like, well, are any of you willing to just give us that money up front, even with no guarantee that we'll make the game? And we, we got seven people. Uh, we were going to go for six, but then we, we up, upped it to seven. We got seven people. And so we took that $3,500 and we used it to register kaijucompa.com, and we bought some forum software, and we started building our community. And we spent about four and a half months building our community and getting our first seven original monster concepts designed up. And we got our, our design wiki up and running, and we sort of really established our community. Part of the advantage of, uh, of having the Kickstarter going live during G-Fest and drumming up some interest is that some of our collaborators, some of our people who uh, contributed their $500 actually came out of G-Fest. The creator of uh, Mora Titan, my personal favorite monster. He was only 11, I think, when he huh. pitched the monster idea to me at my table at G-Fest. And I was like, that's awesome! Fail <laughs> me, and we need to make this happen. Quick, try to figure out... I remember he was just... He, he was standing there at my table with his, with his mother and father basically begging like, Mom, Dad, uh, don't we have all? Don't we have like money you were setting aside for me or something? <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. That's that's cool. Awesome. I mean, Mora Titan. Uh, you guys have a, a page that we'll link on this episode's page. That's just it's all the the monsters that are going into Kaiju Combat, and Mora Titan is insane. It's a coral reef with a giant Mora eel coming out the top of it. It's like 
Are you saying, wait, he was 11 years old when he came up with this? I think he's 12 now, right? <laughs> he's, definitely, he's definitely 12 now. I mean, this yeah, was he was, It's just awesome that there's this kid just came up to me and he just says, but I've got this idea for a monster. And, you know, it, it is a, a kind of a trend with most uh, younger fans that they are monster fans. And so normally they kind of want to emulate monsters that they've seen in movies. So right. it'll be a variation on Godzilla or a variation on Gamera or something. But no, he just had this wild, cool, original idea. And I was just like, that is so awesome. We just need to use that. I agree. That is like one of the coolest things I've ever heard. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> we spent a few hours on the phone with him talking about it, you know, fleshing out the design, coming up with a name and so forth. Let me tell you, this kid knows way more about marine biology and ecology than I have ever known. <laughs> wow. wow. So, uh, That's awesome. I <laughs> can't wait to see what he does. Holy crap. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he's essentially going uh, to create monsters for real i think at some point when he gets older and goes to college he's like let me see what i can do with these sea creatures <laughs> so we had our you know thirty five hundred dollars and basically used that as money to kind of get the concept art together and the, and the wiki and, and really build up our community so then when we launched the second kickstarter in november we were able to immediately point people to forums. And so I think we had 400 registered and active members on the forums when we started the second Kickstarter, right? Mm -hmm. And then we went live and I think we had 4,000 members within two weeks. Um, nice. Yeah, so we, we just exploded. And we have uh, an incredibly large number of people where it's, uh, whatever, 2,500 discussion threads and almost 100,000 messages on the forums. And those have only been live six months. So wow. it's pretty busy. I try to keep up with everything that goes on there, but it is uh, overwhelming some days. Anyway, so we built up a community and we made our, our funding target on the, the Kickstarter the second time around. And so we started then getting new collaborations with characters on their monsters uh, and we started doing our, our votes on different systems of the game people deciding how it's going to be and so forth and really just trying to build the community and so now we have a whole lot of projects so it's not just the kaiju combat video game anymore there's also all these other sort of like secondary and tertiary things that are going on just trying to build that community and get everyone as excited as possible man that's really cool now just so for everybody out there to like get a grip on what exactly kaiju combat is as i understand it ah. it's a giant monster fighting game you Two giant monsters face off and up to, uh, four, up, up to four. Awesome. Okay. Uh, buildings are destroyed. Terrains are leveled. And it is a constantly expanding game. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, I, I will. I will pull back a little bit. We okay. are not destroying the terrain. We, okay. we have destructible objects and, and buildings and boulders and, and stuff like that. There's going to be a lot of destruction, but not terrain deformation. Okay. Uh, that's a little a bridge too far. Um, but yes. Yeah, so. One of the clever ideas of this, well, as we were talking about before we started recording the show, is everyone wants to see Godzilla versus Gamera, right? right. Or you know, King Kong versus Cthulhu. Like, you know, everyone wants to do this sort of thing. But the licensing on that is just a nightmare. It, it's <laughs> yeah. basically impossible. But I was thinking, well, you know, you can do this in Legos, right? Because there are, there are Batman Lego sets. They have Batman and hmm. Joker and so forth. And then you've got Star Wars Legos, right? We've got C-3PO sure. and Darth Vader and so forth. Well, I can buy those two sets and do Batman versus Darth Vader right. by building it all out of Legos because those are two separate products, but they just happen to be built out of exactly the same thing. Like everyone knows that all Lego pieces can be combined, right? Right. And so Lego is a brand and then there's Batman and there's Star Wars. And so those are three different brands. And by combining it all together, you get this crossover that you want. So that's my idea with Kaiju Combat is establish Kaiju Combat as a brand. And then we make a game that features Godzilla. And that game is not called Kaiju Combat. It's called, you know, 
Godzilla kicks everyone's butt, or you know, whatever. But right. that's the thing, and it's cool. part of the kaiju combat brand. And nice. we have a completely separate game, which is, you know, Cthulhu, you know, eats a sandwich or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's also part of the kaiju combat brand. Uh, and then if you buy both of those games, you have all the assets and resources, and they're all built in exactly the same platform with the same controls, just the way those Lego pieces are. So you can take those home, get them on your local PC, and you can just mix all the assets. So no, no individual release would ever cross those IP lines where, you know, we're selling them individually, people who are getting royalties, it's all very clear and, and well delineated. Uh-huh. But on, you know, within the privacy of your own home, you can just take those asset folders and you can load them in whatever you want. That's awesome. I mean, that's a yeah. That, that's a very exciting idea. I mean, of course, I'd be worried about something like, for example, Beatles Rock Band. The caveat was you can make a Beatles Rock Band game, but it cannot cross over with the other Rock Band games. Right. Yeah. Well, and so, and that this is an important legal distinction. We would never cross over the games. Hmm. But if people want to do that at home themselves, interesting. That might just all work perfectly. And, and you could, for example, host a four-player multiplayer featuring these characters privately on your own server or whatever, and no one... In fact, you could even do it publicly, because if I have added a resource folder to my, you know, Cthulhu eats a sandwich, right? Right. And if I've added in some other resources and loaded up, and then I play with you online, uh, you will see the resources that I've loaded because I've just loaded it as part of this game that we're all playing. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, isn't that kind of in the same sense that, you know how in Skyrim people made a My Little Pony mod? No, Nobody can do anything about making a My Little Pony mod for <laughs> Skyrim. You know, you just have it in there. Exactly. Yep. But if you, if you tried to say, we have My Little Pony content and sell it, that would absolutely not be okay. Right. Cool. right. Yeah. Yep. Are you hinting that you might have My Little Pony content then? <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to fight to make this happen. (laughs) (laughs) You mean that I can't play as Discord and fight Gamera? (laughs) Simon, we're going to have to talk about this because I think this is a I think this is a market that we're not fully realizing here. Yeah, it's Um, true. Yes. (laughs) Pay a thousand for that. Discord versus Godzilla. Man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Oh, anyway, like before before we fall down that deep rabbit hole, let's talk about this this roster here on this monsters page. You got what's labeled as Kaiju Land Monsters, and then yes. also Kaiju Combat, The Fall of Nemesis. And then yep. below that, another roster of monsters altogether. Uh, what exactly do these things represent? Okay, as we said, we're going to have all these different releases for Kaiju Combat. Ideally, once we get this first one out of the way, I'd like to do three releases a year. I think that's not awesome. uh, unreasonable. Uh, but we're going to launch with two releases. And so all these monsters were in one big list for a while, but we just had our roster vote about a month ago, where we selected you know which... 15, you know, which 11 are going to be part of the first commercial game, which is called The Fall of Nemesis. Okay? Okay. And so now we know those 11. So that's what these 11 here are. Uh, the ones down below. So the, the top ones are the Kaiju Land. That's our free release. So those four monsters are going to be available for free. Uh, that's a little game anyone can just buy off Steam for free. And you can play those four monsters. And you can play them against any other monster in any other release that we ever have. Okay. Right? So you for, you for free can sit down and you can only use those four monsters, but you can play games against any, you know, in any city with against any monster of anyone who ever has bought any paid content in this game. And uh, as a little bit of a little bit of background for the Kaiju Land monsters themselves, uh, they are actually from a, a separate franchise that we partnership with called Kaiju Land, and it's sort of a it was sort of a casual browser Facebook based game. That is on a bit of a hiatus at the moment, but they're they're gonna they're gonna come back 
sometime soon, but in order to, they wanted us to, you know, have those monsters basically so we can kind of keep them out, make keep them public and continue to um, help out the brand, you know, things like that. Right, okay. Well, yeah. And we wanted to show from right out of the gate how you have multiple releases and how they can sort of be combined. Because that's that's a big selling point, right? Right. And you don't want to wait for the second game. So we're splitting our content basically into these two pieces so that everyone can see how that works right out, right out of the gate. Um, yep. Anyway, so on this list now, you'll see there's this second list starting with Uragora going down to uh, Grim Garl is the most recent, although perhaps by the time this uh, was released, there'll be more. But that is just going to keep expanding. We're going to have 50 monsters in that list. And so when we get ready to start on our next release of original monsters, we're going to have another vote from everyone in the community and say like, okay, we're going to do 12 more monsters. And here's this list of 50, pick your favorite 12, send in your votes to me. So that's a, a, we do a whole lot of community outreach, community involvement. Voting on the roster is a huge, big draw for a lot of people. That's, that's really cool. Now these, are these community created uh, monsters like the uh, original seven or um, are yes. They, yeah. All, all the monsters. So not the Kaiju land monsters, cause those are licensed, but everything right. else is a collaboration between Matt, myself and one member of the community. And so right now the people we're doing those collaborations with, we have a lot. I mean, Matt and I are constantly doing these, uh, collaborations. Yep. Uh, initially these were people who donated to the Kickstarter campaign. Mm-hmm. Once we get done with them, we're going to have another method by which we're sort of selecting people one by one to do these collaborations with to keep the roster growing. Uh, actually, the vote that is going on today in the forums is about what that process will be once we're done with the initial uh, paid contributors. We're not only letting people collaborate with us, we're letting them vote on how we select the people that will collaborate with us. It's all very wow. meta. <laughs> <laughs> This is a really cool way to set something up. I mean, obviously, the giant monster community has come out in force to make this a possibility, which is really just fantastic. Mm-hmm. In- that definitely bespeaks the uh, the passion of this fandom and how it's really one of those things that, you know, in, in the context of other nerddoms, you really wouldn't think that, that giant monsters would have their own dedicated fan base. But, you know, it's hard to see why it wouldn't. Actually, if I may uh, speak to... So part of the reason of doing this is... A lot of people think this is great and this is us just being really nice to our fans. But actually, I'll tell you, (laughs) it's a little more selfish than that. Because having worked on the the three Godzilla titles from Atari, I will tell you, I get so much hate mail. What? And so much (laughs) people... Yeah, oh yeah, people writing in being like, how come Godzilla's eyes don't look properly like the suit from this one? And his toes look like the 73 uh-huh. suit, but his tail has the texture that was only in the use in the 82 suit. So what are you doing? You're an idiot. Oh, Man. God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There's, there's uh. so much, or like, oh, people are like, oh, when Godzilla charges his breath, his arms sit at his side in an angle that's wrong compared to, you know. <laughs> It's oh my god! Or oh, people are like, how come yeah. this monster wasn't considered? When was this monster considered? I saw concept art for this level. Why was it cut? All that stuff is such a it's such a headache, and it's it's hard to explain. You know the the process and things come in and things go out. So actually, assigning all of those decisions to be voted on by the community is a great weight off my shoulders. <laughs> so if anything yeah, like, anything goes wrong, you don't have to take the blame for it right? at all. It like, was how come this community. monster's in the game? I'm like, because that's what the people voted for. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. I'm sleeping easily. <laughs> I gotta say, I mean, like, the community is definitely not wrong in the monsters that they're painting because I'm going through, like, these lists. I went through a couple of days ago and I was looking at the concepts and they're amazing. Like, I can already pick out my favorite monster. You know, I, I think his name was Heart Eater. 
Actually, yes. you know what's cool about yeah, yeah. Heart Eater? Heart Eater was a monster that was pitched by Big Bad Shadow Man, one of our frequent cl- contributors and one of the guys who sponsored this episode. So, <laughs> ah, that's a yes. full circle. Yes, I think all of us think Heart Eater is our favorite. Yes. <laughs> that's, pretty that's pretty great, actually. Uh, actually, let me again slightly correct though: is that Heart Eater is female? Uh, this is a, another yeah. another thing uh, that Matt and I are both pretty down with. Is we're making, we're trying as best we can. Obviously, we're working with other people. We're trying to make a full 50% of our original monster concepts female. Nice and balanced. Uh, cool. So there's a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of that going on. I think it should be fairly easy to sit there and consider monsters to be intrinsically male without there having to be some kind of qualifier. And I think it bespeaks some, some interesting social patterns to see how people react to certain monsters being female, certain monsters being male, because a lot of our female monsters do not look female, right? Or yeah. like one would consider traditionally feminine, or they're not sexy. Heart <laughs> <laughs> eater is not sexy, except in sort of the way that like a giant gun is sexy, right? <laughs> they're all boner killers. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, hey, Simon, write that down. Um, <laughs> um, but um, you, you know, when you really think about it, though, you think about some of the most powerful monsters in, or some of those famous monsters in kaiju lore a lot of a lot of the most famous ones the most powerful ones are female you know mothra who's bested godzilla over and over again gauss who's considered gamera's ultimate enemy Mm -hmm. is uh biologically female Mm. um the giant queen legion who's also defeated gamera almost killed gamera well granted he almost gets killed in every movie so that is but anyway (laughs) gamera's a tough little guy but he really he really likes to get beat up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. it's called dramatic tension Echo- echoing um what, what they said earlier like the designs are really the diversity of these monsters are kind of insane i mean um there's stuff i've never ever remotely considered before and tons i've never seen before are you looking at gandiva right now <laughs> uh no which which one's that gandiva is the uh the two torsos fused together and turned backwards at the waist oh please click on that cap. And, and uh yeah and one half is like this giant blue indian golem and oh, the yeah. other half is like two giant gatling guns and it yeah. floats in the air <laughs> does it does it float in the air by propulsion of the gatling guns <laughs> no no it's just it's just magic it just floats and so but it, it does this torso flip where it's like you know oh i have hands i flip oh i have gatling guns oh, oh. Okay, so that's going to yeah. be kind of like a gameplay uh, gimmick for him is that you can turn him upside down and use that and then turn him again and use his hands, kind yeah. of. Right. That's you cool. hit him with an uppercut and he flips over backwards and suddenly he's facing you again. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, one of the One of the bottom of the list currently is a Grim Garl and it's a, it's a giant undead alligator which is possessed by two rival voodoo spirits. <laughs> <laughs> right, because, because three would be silly. <laughs> yeah. I would like to see a movie about any of these monsters, really. I, I would like to see how the plot it's, unfolds. It's like these, these creatures are definitely breaking every preconceived notion of what a giant monster like genre thing can be, mm-hmm. it's a, that's, which no, is it, awesome. It's funny you should mention that because, um, as another interjection, uh, we actually were starting to get some blowback because of that. Hmm. Like... After a few a few monsters in a row were a little too weird, and we actually started getting some complaints that these monsters are. We actually had people 
Simon, what did they say? They were saying like well, they, these they hated. Too- we had like two or three in a row that had technology on them, uh-huh. and they're like, "Oh, this is all cyborgs. This is just all cyborgs. What, you can't do anything except make them cyborgs." And we're like, "Okay." <laughs> I, I just remember one one person saying, one or two, well, several people actually saying that these monsters are too unique. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey guys, you're being you're being too creative. Can you tone it down a bit? Thank yes, you. that's what they said. They wanted they wanted us to one person actually said like, "Can't you just give us like a two-headed dinosaur or something?" And it's yeah. like Okay, great guys. I mean, that was actually one of the reasons why we um were so happy to get uh, uh Gaonaga out, who's our giant reptilian samurai monster. And then, and then uh, people were really excited. They're like, wow, this is awesome. It's a very traditional styled, you know, re- uh, a reptile monster, you know, like Godzilla. And, and, and we were like, oh, okay, well, we put out that fire. And then we had people coming in <laughs> saying like, oh, so it's another bipedal lizard monster? God, this is so <laughs> <today>. <laughs> Don't please, you people. Wow. <laughs> yep. Uh, first world problems, huh? <laughs> yes. Well, I was also really pleased. Uh, one of our, one of our monsters got our, our best strongest reaction. Is we did a, an Irish Guardian monster. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, let me tell you, like you know, I, you, yeah, I don't think about this much, but we put out this Irish monster, and like people just going nuts. They're like, "I'm Irish," and like, "I'm Irish too," and like, "Oh, you are," and, and like, apparently, <laughs> apparently, it's a it's a, a void that needed to be filled. <laughs> they're just really they're really upset about the bad rap they were getting from Bioshock Infinite. <laughs> 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 that's cool a big druidic mound that's also a giant monster i mean i i never it never it never crossed my mind really it's i never thought normally you could, do that yeah i never thought you, you could take the giant monster genre and make it as diverse as just about anything yeah. they don't all have to be cold-blooded right well that's one of the things that i think people don't really give the giant monster genre enough credit for is that this is actually a really pretty crazy like if you even if you just look at like Ultraman there's such a crazy and wild diversity of concepts and just stuff you can make into monsters I mean there are certain facets that you want to try to adhere to so that you know otherwise it'll get too far away from being a monster like for example we're trying to avoid just straight up dragon monsters because Mm -hmm. There's a there's a thin line that crosses between just being a dragon and being a dragon monster. You know, like King Ghidorah is very obviously a dragon, but it's this big crazy thing with no arms and three heads, and it still has that very kaiju feel to it. Right. So we're we're glad that that's coming across the whole idea. Absolutely. Sure. Well, I really I really like the the gameplay and having made several different fighting games, like my number one favorite thing in fighting games is having a, a cast that they all play totally differently. Right. Mm-hmm. So like the technique that I use against opponent a, I go against B and it just doesn't work. It's like, no, they just, you know, they absorb that. You have to use this other technique, which wouldn't have worked well against a, but that's, that's what you do against B. Right. And so when you, when you have a system like that, that's really uh, orthogonal mm-hmm. and robust, then every time new characters get added, that means whole new like techniques and, and different sorts of matchups you get to try, which I don't want to harp on c- certain games, but there are certain fighting games where like, you know, when you play <laughs> as a character, like there's a few sequences that you need to learn and master. Right. Right. And then no matter who you face, you just do those same two or three things. Right. Yeah. And you just like keep doing those same two or three things. They're like learning a character is just about that. I really like a game where learning a character means I need to know my strengths and weaknesses. So I know how to respond to your strengths and weaknesses in a unique way. That's one of the reasons so. that I like Smash Brothers so much as a fighting game, because the control scheme is the same for every single character, but what you do with those control schemes are so nuanced that 
that's where the yes. decision making comes into play. No, that's that's very much the Sarah system that I that I've tried to use in all of my all of my fighting games in the past. So that's that's an excellent example. Well done. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> gold star. Do you do you guys I because I'm gonna say gold star. <laughs> <laughs> it's high time we had a musical interlude. So here's something short and sweet. This is Mothra's song or Morsura no Uta, sung by the Peanuts, from the nineteen sixty four Godzilla vs. Mothra. The song was composed by Uiji Koseki and the scores by Akira Ifukube. Because I'm very excited about this game, do you think you'll have some sort of system implemented once it's released to, say, uh, track players online and see perhaps who's the best fighter, who's gotten the most wins, things like that? So, uh, yes and no. We... Mm have we have all sorts of analytics all right uh, i've done some mobile development where I've, I've plugged into various analytic things and i've seen the power of that and there's a, a zynga company that's that's here in eugene i have a lot of friends who work for there and i understand the analytics and i really we're going to have a lot of that going on mm-hmm. however i do not want to certain kinds of things like certain kinds of achievements and certain kinds of and stat tracking push the community in a very specific direction and I want to make sure our community feels free to go in whatever direction they want. Okay. Uh, so specifically, I don't want people to say, oh, this monster is better than this monster. I, or I don't want people to say, oh, my, my win record is higher than your win record. Like, that information might be there. You can go look it up, but I don't want to highlight that sort of thing. Okay, so you don't want it to you be know? like some giant competitive... Being competitive is, is useful, and I think there's a time and place to be competitive. I don't want to push competition to the forefront. Like, if you're not playing this competitively, don't even bother picking it up. Like yeah, you, one, don't, you don't yeah. want to be the Call of Duty crowd that makes it not fun anymore. <laughs> that they play <laughs> to kill. Another good analogy. Don't, don't just use one move over and over and over again and kill everyone. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I used to play a lot of the Godzilla Save the Earth on Xbox Live. Mm-hmm. Um, had really, really great netcode back in the day. So I didn't play a lot of other Xbox Live games. And so I'd see things you know, like Penny Arcade cartoons wherever people were making fun of how foul-mouthed and rude and obnoxious people were on Xbox Live. <laughs> I pretty much never experienced that. Like, you know, we're going through, we're playing these games, right? But I'll tell you, who won and lost basically didn't even matter. Because there's like, hey, you're playing as Mothra. You like Mothra? Cool. Have you seen this movie? Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it was yeah. it was just like hanging out with people who like giant monsters. Yeah. Uh, I did one time I, I jumped on and someone was like, all right, man, I'm going to kick your ass. And I was like, and I just like pause. I'm like, Hi. My name's Simon. <laughs> where, where are you from? You know, kind of like, what? I'm not going to start playing the game until we kind of establish some rapport here, because otherwise I don't want to spend five minutes with you. So, <laughs> um, and that was, that was great. We're trying really, trying really hard to make the community, you know, feel good about everything. Okay. Great. Cause I, I've been bashed so many times by eight year olds who just start 
slinging racial slurs at me and i'm just like what <laughs> i don't even know this person what's happening here and then they just you know murder me well yes. uh, you know it, it was funny how i uh i hadn't really gotten into online shooting fighting style games until um fall of cybertron came out mm. oh, and yeah. uh, it, it was funny how i was having a lot of fun with it except um i do remember one evening i was online and Man, just the amount of f bombs flying out of these voices that had not broken yet. Was, <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, whoa!" So this is what everybody's been talking about. Yeah. Holy man! I go to G Fest every year. You know, it's a really, it's really indicative of the kaiju American kaiju fan community at large, and everyone really is. There's a lot of camaraderie there because. Kaiju, I think, as a concept, are very popular, but the diehard fans are kind of are stretched kind of far, uh, kind of few and far between. So when they when they're like, "Oh wow, you're you're as into this as I am," I think there's an immediate desire to want to be friends. Yeah, it's know? a cult fandom kind of a thing. Yes, very much so. Maybe friendship really is magic. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. I know what we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> this guy's on board with it. Oh, I know what's going on. We're going to fund that Kickstarter. <laughs> what are some of the features that you guys are most excited about implementing in this game? If we haven't talked about them already, that is. This has not actually been revealed to to the community at large. Maybe maybe I'll do a little first reveal right here oh, on please. your podcast. Awesome. Please do. Uh, so the the story mode for Fall of Nemesis is amazing. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. So, I mean, here's, here's the problem. So I tried really hard to make a great story mode in Godzilla Unleashed, okay? okay. And it did not work. Mm. Because uh, I, I wanted to have all these decision points where, you know, you do things and it subtly influences how the game plays out in the future and how, you know, how things kind of develop, right? Unfortunately, when you're a giant monster and you're fighting things, like, what kind of decisions can you make? Right. You mm. can do a, like the classic Superman blunder and say like, oh, you know, let's see how much of the city you destroy or don't destroy. Right. But that's not fun. Right. <laughs> uh, or you can say. And so what I came up with is like as I came up with a system where if you lost or didn't fight, that would change the way the monsters felt about you. And you could like actually befriend the alien invaders. Right. Or make friends with the rampaging mutants or, you know, wh whatever you could. You had these alliances and you had independent alliances with these four different groups of monsters. Right. Okay. But the thing was, nobody wants to lose. And so I, I said that if you lost, well, that just affects, you know, how they feel about you and you just move on through the story. But nobody understood that. Nobody wanted to lose. They would just restart. Right. And so <laughs> no one ever saw any of the alternate paths because everyone would just insist on winning every fight. That's fascinating. Like, yeah. that's, I've never heard of anyone attempting that ever. And that's yeah. really interesting to see how the world at large reacted to it. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so, so for this one, I, I really like, I want, I want to, you know, give myself the same problem. How can we do it? How can we do it? So the first thing is we had to come up with some way that you could sort of like make a decision or do something that doesn't conflict with the, the goals of the player, right? Because the goals of the players, they want to kick ass and destroy stuff and beat monsters, right? So we need to give them different ways of doing that. So we came up with uh, this uh, these these four spirits called the Kaiju Jin, okay? Mm -hmm. The Kaiju Jin represent the four essential elements of, of monsters, okay? You've got uh, ferocity, agility, uh, fortitude, and power, okay? Now, these mm -hmm. also happen just by coincidence, not, to correspond to our four attributes that we give each monster, okay? And so those attributes that you have for your monster are sort of like your alignment with each of these spirits, 
Okay. Now these spirits in between fights and so forth, they're sort of talking and these spirits love to make monsters fight. Okay. In fact, they may even sort of influence events to get monsters together to fight all the mm. time. Okay. And they're, mm. they're sort of the reason why all monsters are kind of about the same size, kind of balanced in terms of power, or whatever. And they sort of throw together these tournaments. All right. So the, the context of fall of nemesis is that there's a tournament and you, all these monsters that you've, you've thrown together uh, are all sort of like fighting and see who's going to be the new champion of the Kaiju Jin. All right? Now, the story starts with you see the final fight between Ikamajin and Nemesis. Okay? And this is called the Fall of Nemesis. And Nemesis is beating Ikamajin. Ikamajin was the tournament champion from you know, 100 years ago or previously, whenever they were doing it. And now he's losing to Nemesis. Okay, so now Nemesis is the top champion, and so you have to play up and, and defeat Nemesis yourself, all right? Okay. So, you play through and you defeat Nemesis, now you're the champion of the Kaijujin, hooray, you win, right? So that's the end of the story. But now, when you play the game again, and you choose a new monster, now the boss is whoever you just last beat the game with. Really? <laughs> right? ah. And in fact, we're keeping track of who's winning and losing within your local machine, and whoever has won more is closer to the end of the boss spectrum, and whoever has won the least, that is the characters that you play as the least, are going to be up near the front. Oh, that's really cool. That's pretty Oh my gosh, mechanic. that's awesome. Okay, so you keep playing, you keep playing, and it keeps modifying what's going on. But here's the thing, ready? Here's the information that has not been revealed yet. Okay. I, my, my, my cheeks are tight. Let's go. Let's do this. We're not even halfway through the story. Because as you play through the game over and over and over and over and over, once you've made it so that everybody has been the champion, then the evil plot is revealed. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you okay. just blew my mind. So, so it turns out that Ikamajin did not appreciate being defeated by Nemesis. So he, every time a new person becomes a champion, they get this, this big power boost from the, the Kaiju Jin, right? They make them tougher, faster, stronger, more, more powerful, right? Mm -hmm. But, so this power is being transferred between monsters. This is a, a classic thing you see in monster movies, right? You know, this monster will give their power to somebody else. This power gets transferred around, this, this power transfer thing. So, Ika Majin, uh, evil, genius, mad scientist that he is, he set this up so that every time power is transferred, a little bit gets siphoned off. <laughs> and so when you keep playing and keep changing who's the who's the, the the winner of the tournament, all that power is getting siphoned off, right? Until mm -hmm. eventually there's enough and Ikamajin can just reapply it to himself and turn himself into the tournament champion permanently, no matter who's winning or losing. <laughs> so now you have a new set of fights to go through and you get to fight the super powerful Ikamajin because he's stolen all the power that you should have been getting when you were winning all these fights before. So ideally, like you sit down, you see the story, you play through the game. It takes like an hour, maybe two hours. You get through the game and you're like, yeah, I won. And you feel good, right? And then you play through the game over and over and over and over. Maybe two, three weeks later, you happen to win the game with the last character, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, new cutscene and there's more fights going on. You're like, what? Like, I <laughs> I already played this game, but there's what? There's this whole thing, and then you get through, and now here's the thing. That's not even the end of the story. Oh my god! <laughs> but, uh, but it twist. But, but, but I'm going to save. I'm going to save that for later. Oh man! But, uh, let me tell you, because once you once you realize that you thought it was over, but it's not, then you're going to want to try to figure out what conditions you have to trigger in order to get to the next section of the story. 
Um, but the whole thing is just, it's just this ongoing, you know, and everyone's experience is going to be totally different because depending on which characters you like to play as or don't like to play as, it's going to change who is more powerful or less powerful. Some people are going to get infused with fortitude and so they're going to be just like impossible to hurt. Some are going to have power or, or agility. As the Kaijujin spirits, they start sort of spreading their gifts around. It's going to be awesome. It sounds like a hundred plus hours of gameplay before you get to the Seriously? final story. <laughs> right, but but you don't want to make it. You don't want to give someone a story. You know, you don't want to give someone a, a thousand page book and be like, read this. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's not. You want to give them like a, a two hundred page book and be like, read that. And they're like, oh, that was awesome. And like, oh yeah, there's eight more books in that series. <laughs> that is right. Yeah, yeah that is really sweet. cool. Going for. Well, you've gotten me super super excited about this game now. Um, <laughs> yeah, go to uh, Sunstone.co and you can buy the game right now. Well, I was gonna say, super is there awesome. any sort of time frame on when you're is, when you're thinking of releasing it? <laughs> Um, if everything maybe. lined up perfectly, it would be September or beginning of October of 2013. If everything but, goes know, perfectly. If everything goes perfectly. Realistically, we're looking to try to get the alpha out probably around this summer, June, July, uh, and then hopefully get into beta by August. And at that point, it's just a matter of time. But we have a whole lot of people who have, who have signed up already for alpha and beta access. And so we will be having people playing this game, releasing videos and, and talking about it. So you'll, you'll be able to know when it's coming. Excellent. That's really cool. Yeah, very cool. So, guys, something really unfortunate happened recently. Wizards of the Coast started some kind of legal action against you guys because they claim that they somehow have the word kaiju copywritten because of some product of theirs that has nothing to do with Which giant monsters. Ridiculous, yes. So, that is not exactly correct. It is okay. a trademark dispute. Uh -huh, uh, okay. So, the difference is that copywriting is all about a specific thing, right? So, I have this thing. You can't have this thing, too. Uh, trademark is actually all about preventing people from doing something that's too similar, right? So if I have McDonald's, you can't open a restaurant called McDowell's and have exactly, you know, <laughs> look exactly like me because you're trying to take the goodwill that I've generated for my brand and you're trying to just take it on yourself even though you haven't proven yourself, right? Okay. So that is, that is the, the complaint they've lodged against us is that they have a game called Kaijudo, which is about monsters that are fighting. It's a, it's a card game. And they say that Kaiju combat is too close to that. The simple answer is that it is not too close to that. Yeah, I've, uh, I've well, seen that and no, it is definitely nothing like that well, piece of And the crap. thing is... Kaiju is a real word. Like that's a mm -hmm. Japanese word. Right. Like, not not a title or anything like that. It's a real yeah. word that people right. say. Literally translates to mysterious beast or yeah. unquantifiable creature, you know, just something that exists outside of our whatever, I can go on all day. Go ahead. Yep. <laughs> anyway, so thing is is that uh it, it is not you know, like we did not we did not choose Kaiju Combat because we're trying to mooch off the goodwill that Kaijudo has earned among some fans. Like, obviously not, right? And right. in fact, in this particular action, like, you know, we have we have Kaiju Combat stuff going back months and months, so we can show, look, we've been using this name, we've been doing business with this title for months before you even registered this trademark. But here's the unfortunate reality. How much money will it cost us in legal fees for a judge to rule that? Right. I mean, uh, all, all of our legal counsel says, oh yeah, if you go to trial, you, you will definitely win. But how long will it take and how much will it cost and can you afford to do it? That is our unfortunate reality is that we are, we are looking into, you know, how much does it cost? Is there any way we can, you know, just keep our name? Is there any way we can make peace with the brand managers at Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro? How much will it cost us? And there's several different routes towards how we spend that money. So, right. That's very difficult. Yes. It is super lame. Well, I, I'll tell you, it is. I just want to make more monsters, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I just yeah. want to make a game about making more monsters, and I, I feel really 
I feel really frustrated when I have to spend half my time during the weeks dealing with legal issues and, you know, contracts and like all this stuff. And I'm like, but I want to make the game. That's, that's what I was here for. Yeah. <sighs> Unfortunately, that's just how this society works and everyone sees everyone over simple little things like that for no reason. Um, yep. But yeah, I, I looked at Kaijudo and it's like a Yu-Gi-Oh thing cap and it's terrible. Yeah. I don't even, even the show, it looks ridiculous. So. Well, <laughs> but so they've got money to back it. So that's the whole point, I guess. And actually, shortly after we recorded this interview and just before E3, Simon and Wizards of the Coast were able to settle the disagreement. And now the game is called Colossal Kaiju Combat, a simple fix that everybody was mutually happy with. And we went to E3, we met up with Simon, and we played a rough version of Kaiju Combat and had a really great time. Be sure to check out all the links to where you can get involved with Colossal Kaiju Combat and eventually play the game on this episode's page. So, fellas, uh, you obviously have a long storied history with giant monsters. Certainly, you must have some favorites in so far as like your favorite giant monster films. I'll go with one of my uh, more controversial opinions. Uh, within the within the Godzilla films specifically, uh-huh. my favorite Godzilla film is Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. Blasphemer! Oh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say the 1998 one. It's not the one with Matthew Broderick, yeah. Okay. No, it's not. But I, I specifically like it because there's a lot of fights in it. And there's kind of like a progression of fights. You know, they got like Space Godzilla, and you've got Mogira, and you, I mean, like it, it all kind of builds up to this big fight at the end. Uh, whereas a lot of monster movies, especially some that are considered really good, like, y- you know, they're like an hour plus of monsters slowly advancing. <laughs> Right. And got like a 15, 20 minute fight at the end and then it's over. Is that the one from the early 90s that you're talking about? Yes. It's from, uh, yeah, it's from 1994. 94, okay. Yeah, it's the one with the uh, Space Godzilla is, of course, this gigantic crystal, kind of a crystal uh, covered clone of Godzilla. It, that, what's, what's kind of interesting about that is it took it, it took the series that long to get to the point where it's not just about a giant monster slowly advancing. <laughs> They finally gave everybody what they wanted. Just more giant monsters fighting each other. Yes. Well, it's definitely it's, debatable looking at the entire history of the, of the uh, franchise. And but I, am, I am a layman, I admit. I, I don't know as much about this as I should. <laughs> no, but it is. But it is, uh, it is I, I do agree with Simon. There is a nice progression of this, this uphill battle that Godzilla is fighting basically the entire film. Uh, until he finally actually gets his mitts on Space Godzilla towards the very, very, very end. I mean, just starting with Godzilla, but the other really just great Godzilla thing is uh, Destroy All Monsters, which just has a, a huge, you know, like nine-on-one battle at the end, <laughs> which is which is totally <laughs> epic and great. It's funny, I never actually used to, personally never used to like Destroy All Monsters that much because I grew up with the extremely subpar um, international dub from a commission that was commissioned by a Hong Kong studio back in the 60s when it first came out. And only recently, with the with the recent Blu-ray release, they put out AIP American-made dub that uh, utilized a lot of actual actors. I think the guy who voiced Speed Racer might be actually in that movie. I'm not sure. Uh, and it's just such a superior dub, and it makes the film so much more fun. So yeah, that's just that's part of my two cents on the matter. <laughs> what about games? I'm. You, it's fair to say, it's fair for you to say your own games, by the way. But which of your own games, <laughs> if that's what it comes down to, the giant monster <laughs> fighting games, are do you love the most? So clearly, I think the, the general consensus is that uh, Godzilla Save the Earth, the second game, is mm-hmm. probably the, the overall best. I think that's uh, a, a common opinion, although they, they all have their, their strong points and their, and their fans. Although, actually, I, I also feel really good about uh, 
the Rampage reboot that I did in <laughs> 2006, I think, uh, which is Rampage Total Destruction. Oh, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, which, which you know, it's a very different demographic. It actually it got pretty mediocre reviews because people are saying like, oh, this is pretty much the same game I played when I was eight and I want something <laughs> more. Right. And I'm like, no, no, it's for people who are eight now. <laughs> um, mm. I, I thought that game, I thought that game was pretty, was pretty great. Like it was, uh, we were able, we were pretty much just left alone and uh, we were able to just make a game with 40 monsters and like 300 city blocks to destroy. That was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed that quite a bit as well. That's cool. I mean, I've actually never checked that one out. Does it tell me, does it have full frontal nudity in it as well as the others did? <laughs> uh, we do have little naked people that you turn into uh, when you die. Yes, and you can eat your uh, your allies. <laughs> <laughs> and Obviously, I asked the hard hitting questions. <laughs> so, because uh, I was doing that at Pipeworks, which was part of Foundation Nine. Foundation Nine uh, Digital Eclipse at the same time was doing conversion of the original Rampage games for a collection, uh-huh. and so I was able to actually use the original sound clip that you played from the original Rampage when you would shrink down to a naked person. <laughs> That's great. So it's, it's, it's literally wow. the same wave file. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> right now we're going to cut to a track called The Trouble With Those Mothra Girls by a band called Dai Kaiju, and this is from their self-titled 2005 album. A little bit of giant monster surf rock for you.
And now back to How I Met Your Mothra. Howdy ho, neighbor. Oh, hey, Rodan. Gosh, you look like you went toe-to-toe with Ultraman. <laughs> What's wrong, buddy? It's my damn kid. I caught him smoking drugs with that bratty ranger gang. Oh no, did you let him have it? The drugs? Of course they didn't let him. <laughs> no, no, I mean, did you lay down the law? Godzilla style. Oh yeah, I went nuclear on him. Think I burned the pink one's eyebrows off. <laughs> you know what he said to me? What? He said he bet his dumb friend Zords could kick my butt. <laughs> Bunch of dumb punks he's hanging out with. I'm the king. King of all monsters. Eh, I sure don't feel like it though. I mean, I don't even know how to relate to my own kid. Sure, I tore it up back in the day, but I never wanted to hang out with a crowd like that. And I never did drugs. Never? Only high I ever needed was smashing my way into a reactor core. <laughs> I don't have any experience to relate to what he's going through. Experience? Experience is the thing you have left when everything else is gone. You don't need any experience other than your own to relate to Gagan. Just be careful with your temper. They could just push him away. I don't know, Rodan. Sometimes that kid... At the very least, try being apathetic. I don't know how I feel about that. See? You've already got the hang of it. Welcome back, guys. Right now, we're going to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to talk about Godzilla comics. Matt Frank, you've been... Yes. Uh, the, you you were on this episode because not just because of your work with Kaiju Combat, but you were actually directed to me as as a fan favorite uh, Godzilla artist, and you've done a lot of covers for the IDW's Godzilla books. You've uh, you put out a book, with, at least at least one book it was all art by you, um, one of the Godzilla legends. You you're in, you're really into go- giant monsters. We can tell. Uh, dream job doesn't even begin to describe it, but I'll do my best. Um, it's uh it, you know when I was younger. I was really into dinosaurs and Godzilla was kind of a natural progression. I remember my parents actually buying me the Dark Horse comics, the Dark Horse Godzilla comics from our Heroes of Fantasies in San Antonio. And they, like, I would just, I would just pour over those issues over and over again. And it really started to ignite my imagination as far as how, how to draw these monsters and how to bring them, bring them across two-dimensionally and artistically and uh, i just kept growing i just as i grew older i never stopped being a fan and i never my fandom never waned as it became easier to put stuff out there to get stuff online for example mm. i started putting stuff up on my gallery on DeviantArt, and i started getting pretty strong reaction and people were really liking my stuff so I just kept going and going and going, and eventually I even made a little fan-made fan art series, kind of in the vein of the Ultimate Marvel comics, because around that time I started reading Ultimate Spider-Man, and I thought, yeah, you know, I could apply this similar mentality to Godzilla. So I created Godzilla Neo, which was a sort of just taking all the Godzilla monsters and the Godzilla mythos and kind of shaking it up and streamlining it and redesigning all the monsters, and uh, the reaction was unbelievable. Like... I, to this day, I look at that art, I see everything wrong with it, everything I would have done differently. <laughs> but the fact that people love it so much is really staggering, and it really, but it, but it really did help put me out there and kind of put me on fans' lips and on their keyboards. So, and it wasn't until 
when IEW finally got the license to do Godzilla, I didn't even realize it at the time, but apparently I was already on their shortlist of artists to get involved on some level uh, because I'd actually done some stuff for IDW in the past. I did a few, some, some stand-in art jobs on a few Transformers comics, like on the Beast Wars source book and a Transformers animated book. So they knew who I was, and it was just really nice, though, that they knew that fans liked my work, so they wanted to make the fans happy. That's so, really yeah. cool. Yeah, that is yeah. that's pretty amazing. It's the abridged version. <laughs> <laughs> One of the interesting things about the way IDW has been dealing with Godzilla comics is that m- most of them sort of exist in their own continuity. There's sort of an understanding of, you know, basically what's up with Godzilla, and here's, an, here's another story, which is opened up a, a lot of different doors for a lot of different kinds of stories and a lot of different art teams and so on. It's been pretty neat. Among them, what's what's the thing that you connect with the most as far as different kinds of storytelling? Well, one of the comics, one of the ones that I really, I really like it when they channel some of the classic storytelling techniques of the classic uh, uh, 50s and 60s uh, Godzilla films. There's a, especially with, for example, Gangsters and Goliaths, which was the series by John, John Lehman. Yeah. That's a great example of when you take a story about giant monsters, but you apply it to other genres or create something that really has its own identity. One of the great things about the, the Shoah Godzilla stuff, which is the, everything in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, is that each movie really had a distinctive flavor to it because the way that a writer, I believe it was Shinichi Sekizawa, but I know that uh, Shiro Honda did a lot of the writing too. He was the director on most of these films. What they would do is they would come up with a general plot for a film. It wouldn't even necessarily involve monsters. And then they find a way to put monsters into it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was something that um, Ishiro Honda learned from his friend, uh, his close friend, Akira Kurosawa, is how to just how to how to make these films so strong and, and stand on their own two feet and not necessarily have to rely on the monsters. For example, like like Ghidra, the three headed monster is the first one that King Ghidorah ever shows up. It really feels a lot like the film Roman Holiday. It's a very kind of a. James Bond-esque, sort of an international intrigue spy thriller. There just happen to be monsters fighting over there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The monster stuff informs the human stuff, and the human stuff informs the monster stuff, but it almost feels like there's two separate films being made, but they both still kind of work in tandem. I guess that, that is my obtuse way of saying uh, of putting it. And that applies to a lot of the IEW stuff. That's why Legends is so cool, because it's these different encapsulated little stories that are each independent and all each have their own flavor to them. Layman's book, Gangsters and Goliaths, when I when I read the title, I was like, oh, really? And then but I, I knew I knew <laughs> Layman from his work on Chu. He's a really great writer. And, oh, yeah. and then I read it and I was just I was shocked at how well it worked. Like a uh, a cop who's been blackmailed by his police chief who's on the take and he just he, he like yeah. he he puts a gun to the box that keeps Mothra's little like uh <laughs> deity ladies in it and he's like you yeah. I'll, I'll command Show Mothra or I'll blow your brains out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's something yeah, that's something I never would have seen coming and I was surprised that Toho kind of let that happen because those are such beloved characters and it really does a great job of raising the stakes. Yeah, I was man, that blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a that's a great example of 
doing a really great self-contained story in it. And that whole gangster's aesthetic really does tie back to the old Showa days when two of Toho's primary productions back then were giant monster science fiction films and like gangs and gangster films. They did a lot of gangster movies back then, like Dogura the Space Monster, which is a slightly lesser known Toho film, is pretty much just it's about diamond thieves. And then <laughs> but then a monster starts like eating the diamonds out of the vault before they can get to the diamonds. <laughs> you know, just so wonderfully creative. And I think that that's one of the things that if you can tap into that, that's what makes a really strong monster story. So, yeah. Recently, <laughs> uh, recently you did a Godzilla Legends issue um, about Ingurious with Jeff Presenkowski. And that was a, an interesting choice for a monster. I mean, like you, it, it was addressed in the issue. You know, he's this little guy gets his ass kicked all the time. Like, yeah. <laughs> poor <nope>. guy. <laughs> and you, you really, you really play him up as, as, as the underdog. It, it was a really fun story. When you, when you guys were developing that, was he your first choice? Was he assigned to you? How'd you end up picking him of all, of all the creatures in the Godzilla pantheon? Well, to be perfectly honest, Anguirus is really a fan favorite. Uh, he, he's beloved because he is the underdog. He's very much, Godzilla's sidekick more so than just about any other monster and even even like a lot of people would say like oh Godzilla's friends with Rodan or Mothra or something I would say consistently Anguirus has been at his side uh, and he kind of fits that role really well and even even taking uh, taking away the whole aspect of him being Godzilla's sidekick he really does have that never say die attitude of just he just he'll just he'll just throw himself into a fight. I mean, he got the crap kicked out of him to destroy all monsters, and he just kept kept going. And the worst he's ever been beaten, I think. Well, I mean, got uh, supposedly Godzilla tore his neck open in the first time they ever fought. <laughs> Godzilla wins <laughs> again, and then set him on fire. So <laughs> wherever, wherever this new Anguirus came from is anybody's guess. But but then and then in Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. 1974, Mechagodzilla broke his jaw and left Anguirus to kind of crawl back into the earth with his tail between his legs. <laughs> um, it was, it is so, it's just kind of got his face sliced open when he was fighting Gigan. And uh, so it's that never, it's that, it's that combination of never say die and, and the depression. Fact that Sorry. <laughs> and depression all mixed <laughs> and in. And depression. Uh, so he really is a fan favorite. And Jeff Rosenkowski actually was the one who suggested the idea of what can we like we were, we were trying to bandy some ideas back and forth. And one of the thing ideas he came up with was what if we do a story where there's this huge, horrible threat that's like threatening either the world or maybe a city or something. And Godzilla is nowhere to be found. It's it's Anguirus who has to step up to the plate. Anguirus, you know, it would it would be like it would basically be like like if Batman's out of commission and Robin basically has to take over. Mm. We took that idea, we expanded on it to include Destroyer or Des Destoroya, and it kind of just went from, it kind of just naturally snowballed from there, and Jeff wrote in this great subplot about, or, or rather the primary plot about this lead human character who is having to overcome his own his own stigmas in order to kind of find the same sort of never say die attitude that Anguirus does. And it's all very beautiful. And here I sit all broken hearted and whatnot. So 
And uh, more, more recently, Godzilla Half-Century War by James uh, Stoke. That was quite the standalone uh, miniseries. Yeah, that was... Uh, Half-Century War is a perfect storm of... Of, of having, of really addressing pretty much everything in, in the Godzilla mythos, like, or not everything, but addressing this wide range of topics in the Godzilla mythos, but doing it in such a style and in such a way that really sets it apart. Because it, it, it's a fact that it is kind of easy for a lot of giant monster stuff to start running together after a while, but with Stoko, Sokoe, whatever, with his particular style and his, his brand of storytelling... And the way he told the story through the eyes of this particular character, it really was, like I said, it was this perfect storm. A little bit off topic. How do you feel about the little character called Godzuki? (laughs) (laughs) Good one. Good one. You know, it was funny. Uh, That was actually my April Fool's joke that I pulled on my my, uh, DeviantArt page was that our first issue of Godzilla Rulers of Earth has a special appearance uh, leading into the first real big fight of the series. Is a special appearance by Zilla, who is the is the American Godzilla, mm-hmm. and that's going to be our first two issues. Are going to be focusing on that, and the fan reaction is so was so strange and and strangely divided. We had a lot of people who were really excited about it, but we had a couple of people who were really vocal about how it <laughs> shouldn't even be acknowledged the the American movie or anything like that. And so I thought, like, well, maybe for April Fools, I'll uh, I'll play on that a little bit. So I made the announcement that Godzuki was going to be a recurring primary character. He was going to follow around our main cast with his <laughs> antics. He's a fan favorite, so why wouldn't we? Uh. <laughs> Uh, that's kind of mean God, <laughs> oh it, most people got the joke a couple yeah. of people were like i'm not buying this book and he mentioned <laughs> be like you know what day it is right um <laughs> so my, a lot of my followers and fans have have kind of cottoned on to the fact that i do i will pull a, an april fool's uh stunt uh every year but I, I, if i had a little more time i would have totally put together some art like a faux cover or something but it just uh, I, I didn't think about it until the morning of. But the whole trope of having a younger version of Godzilla is, I think, something that is still part of the franchise and I think should still be acknowledged. I mean, it's like it's a whole idea about giving big, tough Godzilla this softer side that he can emote by taking care of this younger, weaker monster. <clears throat> the end of Son of Godzilla it has Minya, the baby Godzilla, like basically freezing to death in the snowbank and basically being left in the dust by Godzilla, who doesn't care because he's Godzilla. <laughs> and then he, but then Godzilla turns and actually comes back over to Minya and picks him up and basically shelters him. And then the two of them will, can, so the two of them can uh, hibernate through the snowstorm. So it's a really, it, it kind of, it, it has its purpose. <laughs> I just don't know about Godzuki since. He kind of makes blood come out of my eyes. Yeah, I absolutely hate. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I saw him in that. I don't know how that old American cartoon got made um, that <laughs> featured Godzuki. And I, when I first saw it, I was like, "What the hell am I watching?" And it really was horrible. <laughs> well, I still think a, that theme song is amazing. <laughs> I, I still think there is a charm to that old show. My my nephews are budding young Godzilla fans, and when I visit my sister, I'll sometimes I'll put that show on. <laughs> and they'll watch it with their little friends. And then I, I came back into the room about half an hour, an hour later, and they're watching Godzilla fight some monster. And the kids are like, I know Godzilla can beat him. 
I, I love you, Godzilla. And it's good for kids, you know. It's a good little little gateway drug for kids. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Dude, it's a good gateway drug too. for kids. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Stoking the nuclear fire in their hearts. Exactly. <laughs> but much to my sister's chagrin. Um. <laughs> now, Matt, tell me about Chris Mowry. This guy, you're, you're writing a book with him, and uh, he's actually, I looked through all the IDW books that have come out. He's listed as a creative consultant on basically everything. That's, oh, yeah. that's nuts. What, is, what does he do? <laughs> <laughs> well, as I understand it, uh, he's more or less... This poor guy, he's more or less their workhorse. I mean, he, I think his official title is that he's also uh, primarily like a graphic designer. Like he does a lot of lettering. He does a lot of the setting up how the sound effects look. He does a lot of the book design layout. He did the, he did, he pretty much put together the Fall of Cybertron art book that came out. He, he, he basically takes all the art, all the writing Everything puts it together, makes it look pretty, makes it look presentable. Like, you know when you open up a comic and you've got, like, the credits page, which has the title and the writer, artist, and it's got some cool graphics to it and stuff? Like, that's his job. So, like, like an art director, layout director kind of position. Yeah, pretty much. But, you know, he's, he's also, he is also their resident Godzilla fan. Like, he is as big a fan as I am. He's even, as I understand it, I think he even acquired like a Godzilla Pachinko game that he just <laughs> keeps in his apartment. So he's always wanted to be more. Uh, so basically, what what they keep him around for, as far as Godzilla books up to this point, it's been kind of like they'll say like, "Hey, what about this?" Or they'll get basically show him the stuff and they'll say like, "Hey, what does this look like?" Or "How does this look?" Or would these monsters do this or that? It's basically, he's almost like they go to him before they go to Toho because he has stuff to Toho regardless, but having it go through a fan who knows his stuff as well as Chris does gives it that extra layer of cred, you know? That's very cool. I guess where the, that's yeah, where the that's, consultant that's fascinating. title comes in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, you know, he knows that, like, if somebody wants to have Godzilla eat a bus, of tour, bus full of tourists or something... Chris would probably step in and say, Godzilla doesn't eat people. Like, <laughs> he, he doesn't. That's actually one of Toho's stipulated rules, is that Godzilla cannot eat people. I mean, he can maybe accidentally swallow somebody or something, or you come up with a reason, like in the old Dark Horse comics, where he eats uh, a supervillain who's uh, holding these handheld plutonium missiles or something. So he eats the bad guy because Godzilla wants the plutonium. So there you go. Wow. Hmm. That's a very specialized position. And, <laughs> it is. and, and yeah. as a fan, I would imagine something to the effect of a dream job. Oh, yeah, especially. Well, I mean, it, there's always a, a measure of I don't want to speak directly for him, but there was always this little twinge of envy because he did actually get to write an issue of Godzilla Legends, which was had a very strong, had a very strong fan reaction. Uh, people really liked it. It was just one big fight. Uh, it was issue four, I think. He uh, so finally they just and he's also written some some Transformers stuff in the past like Reign of Starscream. So finally, with Rulers of Earth, IDW and our editor Bobby Kernow basically thrown caution in the wind and said like, okay, Chris, Matt, you guys are the only ones who will probably do this thing for free. Why don't we? Uh, <laughs> why don't we put you guys in charge of this book? Oh. <laughs> that was great. Not that, not that they're not paying us. I'm just saying that that's. 
Oh, you know? gotcha. Okay. <laughs> you know? No, no, no. They're, they're, they, they yeah. <laughs> Take from that what you will. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's really cool. So forthcoming projects, Godzilla Rulers of Earth? Yes. Uh, it is our new ongoing series through IDW. It comes out in June. It's it's really a, an astounding thing, to be honest, because it, 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 there's no secret about this. IAW really is kind of taking a risk with this because Maori and I are, you know, we have people in the fandom really like us, and that means a lot. But there's no guarantee that comic book stores are going to put a lot of orders down for our book. You know, it's it's where we're relatively untested talent in the wide world of comics, especially compared to guys like Stoko and and Eric Powell and John Lehman. So what we're hoping is that the fandom will come out in force to support us. We have a really terrific story planned. We've got a lot of crazy cool stuff that's going to happen that I think fans have been waiting a long time to see, and we're going to deliver. God, are we ever going to deliver? See, that's a, that's awesome. That's a that is a one hundred percent fan comic. Like you, I mean, there's plenty of. I will say there are tons of people in the industry right now who only started at the same humble beginnings of any as any of us. But uh, you really can't beat the the fire you're speaking with right here. I mean, you, I, every every listener is full full fully aware right now. You know what the cut of uh, Matt Frank's jib as far as Godzilla goes. <laughs> you, you you know you know this guy's legit. So th- that's very exciting. I really appreciate that. Yeah, and we've, in, uh, we've interviewed lots of fake people, but you were legit. <laughs> you, you, you got it. We, we don't interview fake takes. people on this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a that's really appreciated. You know, I mean, and granted, there there can be a stigma towards putting fans in charge of something to the point where they might um, let that fanness get in the way, that fandom get in the way of of telling a coherent or a really strong story when they might just want to keep falling back on fan service, Mm -hmm. which is not weird. I'm confident that Chris and I are really trying to strike that, that middle ground where yes, we're really big fans, but we want to tell a really strong story. That's not hindered by us. uh, Just, just tongue bathing something to death, you know? Yeah. We, we wanted this book to have its own identity and to really push some boundaries as far as Godzilla stuff goes. So that's what that's what my hope is. That's what my fear is. Mostly hope. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, I, I am. I am um, very excited and I'm very thankful for the kind words. Be sure to check that book out. Godzilla <laughs> Rulers of Earth. The title is very indicative of the sort of plot threads we're going with. <laughs> Like I mentioned earlier, the first writer behind a Godzilla property over at IDW was Eric Powell, creator of The Goon. When I was moderating the Dark Horse panel at this year's Heroes Con, Eric was the first to show up, and he and I had a little bit of time to talk about stuff that wasn't Dark Horse related. So I asked him about his run on Godzilla. Your Godzilla was the, the first they did? Am I correct in that? Yeah, they they came to me and, and asked if I'd be interested in doing something with it, and I was like, yeah, let's do a, you guys want to do an ongoing book? And they're like, sure, that'd be great. And uh, I had this great idea. Since it's not happening, I can tell you all the ideas. <laughs> Yeah, go for when it. I was, I mean, when I, when I was a kid, I was a big Godzilla fan. But those movies are completely formulaic. Every single one of them. It's like monster comes in, monster destroys stuff, monster fights another monster or the army or something, monster goes away, the end. How do you make an ongoing serialized story out of that? And I thought, well, all of the weird stuff had been happening in the world around that time. We had the Katrina and, and the oil spill and everything. And it was just kind of like, 
staggering to me to see how little it takes for our infrastructure to crumble. Right. And like, oh, there's a storm and people are dying because they can't get water. So I started having the thought, well, what would happen if a giant monster actually attacked? Well, the infrastructure would be screwed. So even like, <laughs> all right, the monster comes, destroys the city, goes off or gets killed or whatever. The city would still have like months or years to you know, recover. And this was also the first time that Toho was allowing a publisher to use all their monsters. So we were going to mm. do a book that had all of their monsters in it. So I had the thought, well, if all of these monsters came, there would be no way for the infrastructure to catch up with the destruction they were causing. So society would just completely crumble. So I started thinking about that and kind of had this big vision of uh, it would turn into the road warrior with giant monsters. And uh, it was going to be a slow decline, but I thought it was going to be a pretty good comic, a pretty good idea. And then um, they didn't really want to take it in the direction we wanted to take it, so we ended up jumping off the book. Mm. Was they IDW or Toho? Toho. Oh, that's too yeah. bad. They're they're very uh, they're protective, right, rightfully so. They're very protective, but you know, it was kind of contradictory to our pitch that we gave them. So. That sounds really exciting. Yeah. I wish we could have done that book. It would have been fun. On the topic of Godzilla, how could we not play? Blue Oyster Cult's Godzilla. Well, here's how we could not play it. Because there's a heavy metal band called Racer X, and on their 2000 album Superheroes, they did the best cover of Blue Oyster Cult's track I've ever heard. So here's Godzilla by Racer X.
Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Hex. I'm Brandon. And right now, we're going to talk about Pacific Rim. Specifically, Pacific Rim. Specific Pacific Rim, not Atlantic Rim. Which is a, an actual film that's being made to profit off of the buzz of Pacific Rim. Yay! It was like when tales. Disney made, what, The Frog and the Princess, and then that knockoff company at the same time made, like, The Princess and the Frog, and it looked kind of similar. Or Snakes on a Train, for example. Yep. Okay, so we just saw Pacific Rim. Right now, we're going to go through our reactions. We're going to start off, and we're going to keep it spoiler-free for a little bit, as much as we can say in broad strokes about the film. But honestly, there's not much we can say without addressing spoilers. When we hit that territory, we will let you know. I'm going to start off and say, I was very satisfied with the robots. I yes, wanted to I go was. in seeing giant robots, and the movie did not fail me. Oh. It was very satisfying. And that is not a spoiler. If you've seen the trailers for the film, <laughs> you will be introduced to the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah. And after that, aside from some clips from other scenes, everything else is new. Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of cool. And that's why it's hard for us to say stuff without spoilers, because really, you think... Oh, I'm going to be introduced to the world. We're going to see the first Kaiju Land and all that stuff. You don't. No, no, no you don't. Don't even think you're going to. That there's a uh, Travis Beecham has a graphic novel that I haven't read, but is probably what that is because in the first five minutes of the film, you realize that uh, the existence of Kaiju it's been around. For yeah, a while. It's, it's, it's been a while. So for a long while, actually. several several years, several decades. Well, I don't know no, about no, decades. It's like decades. seven years, right? No, it's like years. seven years. Yeah. Because there was a thing that said, like, seventh year of Kaiju. War. Yeah, yeah, so it's, like, project predicting that this is the year the Kaiju come. Yeah. So, like, my first impression a while ago, my impressions, uh, when I saw the very first trailer, which was, like, a minute, it didn't show much, mm -hmm. but I was like, uh, it looks like a Michael Bay movie, there's CG everywhere and explosions, whatever. And then I saw the actual movie, and oh my god, was I wrong. Michael Bay is a worthless piece of shit. And he <laughs> well, could you know, learn... That's not new. And, and what I was saying earlier, if he even took away... If he watches this movie and learns even one thing from it, it will be exponentially better. <laughs> I was explaining to Brandon why the trailers and the movie were so disparate. And it's basically, it is targeting the demographic that wants to see the Michael Bay explosion to giant robots. Boo. Not people that are like, huh, I wonder why the robot is fighting the monster. Yay. I'd like to learn more about that. I want to know why there are different robots and different monsters. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Hopefully that will amount to ticket sales because this movie stands to be a classic it is agreed. It is very, very strong. As weird as that sounds, because like ninety percent of it's, I guess, CG. So it's weird to call that a classic, but it definitely has that feeling of a classic monster movie in it. Hideo Kojima, the creator of Metal Gear Solid, yeah, uh, said some very fantastic things about this, and a glowing review from him is a lot of people did actually. That, uh, you, I mean, just uh, like but this him, particular review like caught him, a lot of, him of all eyes. people. This coming from him means the absolute world. Good. He needs to promote the hell out of it because given whatever budget they had they need to make that shit back <laughs> and then some yes he says pacific rim is the ultimate otaku film that all of us have always been waiting for who are you if you're japanese and won't watch this <laughs> did he really say that yes damn uh the toy line we predict is going to be magnificent i want to buy all i, I haven't actually seen any i, I really hope there they is better be making some fucking toys each, i want some each robot is very specific and very different I like that. I'm sorry, each Jaeger, as each we call Jaeger, it. Jaeger, that's right. I was a little disappointed because in the movie, you know, the robots are called Jaegers because it means hunter. It's like yes, the hunter program, the Jaeger program. Yeah. 
And I felt like every time they killed a kaiju or anything cool happened, they should just down some Jaeger. Like, <laughs> yeah, you shot, bro. When I was watching this film, I was thinking a lot of stuff is happening very quickly in the movie. In fact, it, it's a two and a half hour film. Honestly, well, it could two and like ten, two fifteen. It could have been three hours. It, yeah, I I, I kind of hope that there's a special cut where they where where it is three hours, yeah. but I doubt it. Anyway, there, there's there's so much going on. Sometimes the stuff moves by too fast, but largely. It's a very rich world, and there's a ton of characterization, which is the sort of stuff that's everything that's that's missing about high-octane, action-packed summer blockbusters with massive budgets is present mm-hmm. in this film. It had a primary plot and a secondary plot, and I was as interested in the secondary plot. The secondary plot was so just many as reasons. important, though, as the yeah, primary. No, that's there, the were, thing. there were two it, different plots going it, on. It, it, it served as a nice comedic foil. But it also served an incredible uh, plot point as the, well. The Adventures of Charlie Day. Yes. As we will call it. You'll just have to figure yes. out what that means later. <laughs> <laughs> the Adventures of Charlie Day. He's a wild card. Uh, this, <laughs> the, this film samples and gives head nods to many great things in pop culture, but ultimately remains predominantly unique and simply informed by the stuff that has come before it. And, and it feels very loving towards all that stuff, as you can probably tell when you're when you're watching it if you have any part of you who who wants to see uh, a fun science fiction film or giant monster anything or simply a film that uh has all the the hallmarks of a summer blockbuster yet doesn't treat you disrespectfully you will want to see this film i don't care it will treat you with much respect and honor (laughs) (laughs) it it will it absolutely will i think if you're a fan of magus xlr or evangelion or um Anything you know, with any a kaiju giant, film you, or you know. anything with a giant robot. But now, yeah. well, I'd emphasize that if you are a fan of giant monsters and giant robots, you have to see this movie. And even if you aren't a fan of those things, you, you have to you see will, this. You will really enjoy this film yeah. because it doesn't treat you like an asshole. Like Michael Bay would treat you. Like Michael Bay would like you. You'd wake up and you'd have bruises all over your face. It's like okay, a Michael Bay movie would basically he'd rape you in the ass and leave you in an alley, and the cops would find you bloody and beaten. Guillermo del Toro movie, he would call you the next day and leave flowers on your pillow. <laughs> and that's what this movie was like. He was very nice to me. I think we should initiate the spoiler protocol right now. Yeah, because we can't go much further without spoiling stuff. Do you have the password to initiate the protocol? I do. I'm going to initiate that password. Does everybody have their keys ready? You um, got to do this at the same time, okay? I, I do. I, I'd li- okay, yes, yes, I got, I got it right here. Three, two, one. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Let's let's start with Charlie Day. Holy crap. It was amazing. His character was a combination of Lewis Tully and Ray Stans. Yeah. And it was perfect. He was so good. The thing is, I, I kind of felt like no one wrote that for him. It was almost as if they said, do and say whatever you want and we'll go with it. Basically, that's how it felt. Like, so. I mean, he... <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was pretty great. Because there were the two scientists. There are two scientists that kind of like, we are the kaiju experts. One is a mathematician, one is a biologist, and a total fucking nut job. Yeah. Played by Charlie Day. And so when the prim and proper British mathematician is going off on this tangent about how math is the, the only true glimpse of God, like Charlie Day, like like the audience wants to go, just goes, what? He's like, what, you, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, what does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> It's, his dialogue is very believable, which is why I love him as yes, an actor. Yes. It's 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 not it's it the, pl- the the it's not he only, talks as if like you know the way we would talk. Not only is his dialogue believable, but his delivery is as believable. I just don't think he's acting. I think he's just being himself. He's just, <laughs> it, it feels that well, way, and it, I love it. Like if if Charlie's character that he plays in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is um it's, it's different i mean it's very it's very different right because this is still we are still a watching a genius yeah like th- that is unmistakable that whole that whole subplot i love it now there's parts where it's 
it's so different from the other parts of the film that it does feel, you know, like it could it could use, a, you know, some more time on screen to help the right. parts mesh yeah. together better. But that said, I mean, that takes him into the world with Ron Perlman. And uh, like I felt and, I didn't actually get to see the world itself until I saw that subplot. Right. And which was very which is really valuable to help helping this feel. I mean, you got <laughs> Guillermo del Toro's giving us like uh, Blade Runner Neuromancer uh, Hong Kong. Seriously? and uh, I like got no Bonneville. problem with that. I'm like, I want to see Bone Alley. I want to see more of this. <laughs> this is gorgeous. The world created with like the everybody living on the backs of multiple kaiju attacks and everything. Really fascinating. This whole black Th- that market was, that um, just grew out of like. That was one of my favorite parts, actually, because, in, you know, in old monster films and kaiju and all that, you just assume, well, the government probably seals off everything and cleans it up. But it's like you have a monster that's like a mile long and it dies in the middle of a city. No government's going to be able to clean it up that quickly. No, just no people are going to be able to yeah, organize. There's, that you know, there's black markets. People steal parts. They use it as aphrodisiacs. They sell like organs. They use it for food. Some people start praising them as like gods. And like it's this whole culture built around like dead kaijus that you never really get into, you know, what happens to them when they die. So I really, I really like that part. I thought that was really creative and really fun. Yeah. And the, um, the drift I thought was, um, you know, it was interesting and it was a really compelling, uh, way to, to create human drama on screen without having to fo- just basically replicate Iron Man, you right. know? And, and did you guys know that the big rooms where they're all like tethered to the machines and everything, those are real. So they're yeah. completely real. How are they real? As in, like the the actors are in suits, and the suits are connected to. Big oh, you mean hydraulic like not CG? Yeah, right. I, I knew giant, some of that was real, which is why it, I I'm was like, the budget's crazy. Giant hydraulic sets that move with water leaking out and sparks flying, all real. That should be a ride. <laughs> like like it, whatever it, theme well, park, them. MGM or whatever the fuck Warner Brothers has shit in it. Yeah, your experience. It, you, you drink a bunch of Jaeger, <laughs> oh, you get in a robot suit, and you pretend you're piloting a fucking Jaeger. And then puke all over yourself. <laughs> and puke. And fill up your helmet. <laughs> oh, no, no, a lot of the technology was really cool, and I, I did like whenever they explained some of it. Uh, for instance, like, you know, why they had to have two pilots, and they showed and explained, well, they used to just try one pilot, but they were getting, their brain was getting fried, and they couldn't handle it, so... They figured if they split up the work of the brain right. between, you know, one pilot controls the left lobe and one's the right, they can actually handle it and not, you know, explode and, and die. the existence of that technology allowed for the subplot of Charlie Day being able to hack into a kaiju brain to find yeah. out what are they doing. Which I thought was brilliant. I'm thinking, you know, there was, honestly, there was too much going on in this film for it to work. And it's a miracle that they pulled it off in the time yeah. that they had, but they did. And like, even though it, there's a probably an alternate reality where just the film industry is that just that much more perfect, where where it is a stronger film. But as it is, it's great. It's really great. And I did have one problem with yeah. it, though, which was the ending. And this is spoiler territory, I guess. But whatever. We, we turned the keys, yeah, exactly. man. It's all over. They, they, so you know, fuck you all if you don't want to hear it. But I thought the ending was too happy. Yeah, too good. You know, most you know the main characters live. Everything's well, like, oh, we saved the world. I was like, no, I mean, who, who's saying another rift isn't going to open somewhere else? I mean, they're fucking basically aliens attacking them. Why can't they open another rift? I don't know. I, I'd argue that it wasn't that necessarily that it was too happy, but simply that it was, by comparison to the rest of the film, too abrupt. It didn't necessarily give you a feeling of... Um, it, it did end the, too conveniently. The, I, the, 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 the resolution didn't have a, a, a pacing that was strong enough for, for you to feel anything like it other than it was rushed mm. and maybe... And then conversely, because only a couple people died, that it was too happy. Right. Yeah, and Yeah, when they went into the breach, I thought there'd be a lot more. Like, it wouldn't just be you go in there, you detonate it, you get out. I thought it'd be like, there'd be this other, like, another half an hour of him in this thing with these aliens and just shit happening. I think it would just be instantly no, that, he comes that's in. That's risky. <laughs> I mean, I just thought he'd be there and, you know, more would happen. But Well, how about, how about this achievement? It was like a Stargate ending. There <laughs> was no romance in this movie. 
I love that. It, it touched on a possible romance. Sure. I am so into the idea that there was no romance in this this film. It's amazing because there's always this, it's so obligatory, right? Mm. And and there's a couple characters who could have a relationship at some point, but you know, under the circumstance, it would be a total waste of time and completely inappropriate. And most yeah. of the time, I'm screaming at the screen. You know, Spock well, and Uhura, also, shut the fuck up. Well, it's also it's <laughs> like they. I mean, it feels like the romance did blossom, and like we saw it at the very end. But it's also it was unspoken because they already shared their fucking minds. Yeah, yeah. they didn't even kiss; they just hugged. Right, because they so just survived a near death experience. They're yeah. like, "Oh shit, that was fucked up." Yeah, and we're alive, and and I like that because when they first introduced the character, you know, the Asian girl's like, "That's that." I was like, "I knew, you know, this is going to be his partner," even though they didn't say it. And I kind of rolled my eyes because I thought, "Well, she's cute, she's Asian. There's going to be a romantic thing. It's going to get fucked up, and I'm going to hate it." And they just didn't lead it into a romantic place. It, and I, like you said, it was just it was wonderful to not have to deal with that shit. All the characterization the was just so much more real than I'm used to. And it's the, and this this is why I get pissed off when I go see most films. Right. <laughs> because this this is possible. It is possible to make a movie like this. <laughs> yes, you don't need to have a love interest to have a good movie. And can I just take a moment and oh. say, fucking love the soundtrack. It was just oh, it's pretty pumping. good. It Except was... for the ending credits. But other than that. Well, after after the obligatory uh, hip hop track, the, the rest of the ending credits was just like this kind of like musical montage of the rest of the music, and it was still it was pumping. It no, was the, awesome. the music it was, was good. I really enjoyed it. The sets were good. The the character designs were good. The kaiju designs, each one was completely different oh, and looked yeah. really nice. Very intricate. I really want to know more about the kaiju. I want to. I like. I I've caught Charlie Day's bug. I I want to know everything about the kaiju ever. Hmm. I'm a kaiju junkie. There's so much there. Um, the whole time I was watching the film, I was thinking. What's the best comparison to this film? Like, what what are the tent poles of great movie making, movie making that we actually can get behind? And I, my mind kept coming back to the same thing: The Fifth Element. Uh, is oh a, is, yeah, is best a movie ever. Very strong modern representation of someone doing a totally original story with incredible characterization, and it's very well balanced out. And um, and that even does have a love, like a romantic story, but it works for it. Right. It, it's actually, I mean, it's part it, of the plot. It, yeah, it works in Fifth Element because it's part of the plot. But, right. Um, but in, in in this case, and I, even then, it's not overdone. No, it's interesting. The patterns in film, like we can look back at certain eras, and we can say, well, the '70s was just filled with many dynamic movies. The, the '80s as well, like landmark films. And it, it starts to trickle out and gets wider, uh, the, the, the space between things. And what, what do we have? Like Avatar, The Matrix, things that like hackers. And, 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 and they don't have the same triggers. Then there's films like The Fifth Element, which, yeah. you know, like just incre- incredible action, lots of action, incredible characterization. And so then, then the film Pacific Rim comes along and it seems like it's a fair comparison. Like it's in the same league of something that has enough of a standalone quality that it can be judged as a classic, which is really exciting you know like i i want to see it again immediately i when it comes out i kind of want to see in a huge imax like theater and you know it's it's in the movies obviously it's in 3d because that's what you do these days when you have a huge cg you know movie and it wasn't overdone but it felt there were a few times when things were at the screen but i really enjoyed it like there was like fish at the beginning right and i was like oh my god fish are you guys familiar with guillermo del toro's things that he said about 3d in the past no no no. you mentioned it in the past but please go i assume he hates it but let me know when when he was developing at the mountains of madness which is in a perfect world what he would have done instead of this film actually Mm. he said you know he wanted to utilize 3d as it was going to be a very expensive blockbuster film but he wanted to to give depth to the screen he thought the screen was more useful as a picture that you you stared into rather than something that had crap bubbling out at the surface and uh, it's that's a feature that you often see in 3d for cgi films far more than um than 
well, I mean, not there wasn't a ton of CGI in this movie, but just far more than something with physical human actors. And in this movie, uh, you could see that his ethos that he planned on putting into At the Mountains of Madness was very active in this movie because most scenes went back all the way. Like, you yeah. got the full depth of a scene yeah, were, and you could just fall into layers. that world. Maybe even hundreds of layers. It was, yeah. Once was, again, astronomical cool. budget, I think, <laughs> somehow yeah. for this. Where he got it? Well, probably being an awesome director, but other than that. Well, I mean, think about the things that he wanted to do, and they told him it was too risky, and they wouldn't give him money yeah, for how it. Yeah, how why did they let one. him do this, but not anything else? <laughs> I don't understand that. Like, this would have been a huge, like, if it failed, the amount of money that was put into it, I mean, he, he would not have done another action movie ever again. Well, people are still extremely nervous. It cost $180 million. It's still no Waterworld. What, what was Waterworld? Like a billion? They actually made a floating island and blew it up like twice. <laughs> so like once was by accident, it sank, and they're like, oh, fuck. Now we have Maybe. to build it again. Yeah. Well, Waterworld was um, actually $175 million. What? <laughs> it beat Waterworld. But, but Grant, you Nobody know, beats Waterworld. <laughs> keep in mind, Brandon, that was 1995. Uh, the yeah. Which would translate to a billion dollars. Financial situation is very different now. Um, but it is a lot. People are nervous. Uh, there's this whole thing where people are saying that, like, the Twitterverse, like, don't understand this film. And uh, though no one's seen it yet, like, people are have very disparaging opinions about it. Well, but. I did, too, before I saw it, just based on the trailer. I just thought it was, like, a huge CG action film. And it is, but it's so, it's, it's done so well. That. How are the kaiju fights? Very tasteful, I think. I really enjoyed I, it. Each fight was completely different. All Each kaiju was completely different. All yeah. I know is everybody, I, you know, I think that, you know, the word of mouth is going to travel far and wide in this film. I really hope that we don't see, like, another John Carter-style disaster. With Dude, the, Kanye know, West a, a decent film. tweeted it. It's sold. It's done. But at the very least, I hope that, you know, Kanye's ego will translate into some ticket sales for Pacific Rim. That would be really cool. Because this movie, it deserves success. It is a cool fucking film. Yeah. You know, there was so much happening on screen, like... It was hard to focus on sometimes, just like how how much you're seeing. It makes me want to go watch it but and it, observe it more. Did, yeah, it, it didn't... And uh, we saw it on a rather small screen, actually. It didn't annoy me so much as I just was like, oh man, I gotta see this again. <laughs> yeah. One thing I definitely also really want to touch on before we close is the ending dedication to Ray Harryhausen. The other person that was mentioned in the, um, that the film is dedicated to is Ishiro Honda, the director of Godzilla. So, obviously, very wow. appropriate. <laughs> Harryhausen, I'm very familiar with from watching a bunch of his movies growing up. Clash of the Titans, Mysterious Island, Jason and the Argonauts particularly. Wait, the new Clash of the Titans no, or the old, old one? Clash oh. of the Titans, like straight you're, up. You're old school. Straight up like stop way motion. old school. Yes. Okay. Ray Harryhausen was a god among claymation stop motion monsters. Like he was a monster master as they referred to him in the ending credits. Just like his impact on on Hollywood and monsters and cinema alone, like the fact that they took inspiration from that really shows, in my opinion, like because there is so much character in the monsters like there were with Harryhausen. It's true. His monsters are always very detailed. And I guess that's the kind of detail you you can actually do when it's a sculpted piece of work. Like, I mean, I feel that if you asked Harryhausen, he would give you a whole backstory of each individual monster. Like, yeah, even like the army of skeletons from... Jason, the Argonauts. That's his like, yeah, and each one is slightly different. Each one is slightly different. They have like slight imperfections, their own weapons, their own kind of like some are missing teeth, some 
uh, like are walking with a limp. Like there is so much detail. So would you compare that to Pacific Rim, the the level of detail to the think? monsters? Yes, yes. Yeah, there was a lot. I mean, and the robots. It's, too. You know, it's weird. Yes, uh, couple, you know, a few years ago, people complained about the final act of uh, Incredible Hulk because it was two CGI creatures beating the crap out of each other and it wasn't compelling. Honestly, I, I blame it on direction more than I more than the actual content itself. Second, is here we have. I know I don't know. I realize much, that I, now. I assume they did a certain amount of mocap, but the fact is the monsters actually moved in very inhuman ways that they simply couldn't have done with people in suits. Right. So I I think that you know we ended up with something really great. Even if they were inhuman and supernatural, they felt still felt yeah. natural for that creature and it's you know fusing um special effects and drama it's all about tact and what you can get away with and we've hit a point where we can get away with this now and it feels completely natural we can actually have this action without something as dynamic as say Gollum to help hold our hands through the process so it's a big step now the doors are finally open the like it's finally possible to create a giant monster film that plays with the tropes that the japanese have been developing for so many years and can also speak to the same blockbuster audience that Hollywood has actually been, you know. Well, the, pro- the problem with that, as you were saying before, is though it's really up to the director to make it good because you can make a giant monster beatdown film and it's going to be shitty mm-hmm. unless you have a really good director to make it work. Yeah, well, it's like, why is, why is Michael Bay's name worth even mentioning in a discussion about something as quality as this? Well, it's simply because he is a person who's in the, who has the power to make films of this caliber and decides not to he's what's not he's what like the example of what not to do so i'm gonna jump in real quick i saw pain and gain i don't know what that is that was another michael bay film that was his attempt at something more humorous and that was like the marky mark and the rock okay where they're but basically bodybuilders that kidnap a anyways (laughs) it is a non-blockbuster michael bay film so he didn't have explosions and cg monsters how was it how brave it was fucking miserable (laughs) (laughs) there was potential which is why i went to go see it and it was still a fucking miserable film that's because michael bay is a terrible director exactly there it doesn't matter what he does but people still see transformers because it's cg and shiny want to see giant monsters and explosions like, i know monsters. so many people that loved man of steel just because metropolis was decimated by two godlike entities i work with for people those like people, that yeah. for those people i want to say go watch this movie it'll give you what you want and some stuff you didn't even know you wanted right like there's this like, thing called plot and story and character and development I feel like the city should be destroyed after these fucking four titans stomped all over the city Anyway, so that's the, the my whole gripe with Man of Steel can be heard in another <laughs> in a previous podcast, in a previous but, episode. Yes. Um, what we're essentially saying: see Pacific Rim; it's better than everything else. Done. Done. I, mean, it, I can't add anything to that. It's really good. I didn't think it was it, going to be. It's I, Guillermo del Toro lending his directorial prowess to a genre that is he doesn't uh, normally do. Yeah, it's 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 not nor- it's not his thing usually, and he. He did the Hellboy, you know, movies. I guess it's action. So, yeah, I guess kind of. But this is robot action. But, you know, the Hellboy was personal and more subdued. And this is, I mean, this is this is really, truly the content of a summer blockbuster. Yeah. And Ron, per- Ron Perlman's in it. So, yeah, His shiny golden shoes that I really want now. I hope someone make. I hope Nike makes them for like five hundred dollars as usual. I love how massive they were in Charlie Day's hand. <laughs> right now, we're going to cut to a track. And what better than some of the score from Pacific Rim by Ramin Jawadi? This is called Go Big or Go Extinct.
Mehr als vier. And now we return to How I Met Your Mothra. Hey, hey, your Uncle Gamera's here. Uncle Gamera! Hey, Manila. Wow, you weigh a ton. What you been eating? Battleships? <laughs> wow, gals, did you get your horns done? Yeah, Mom took me to the salon. What's a special occasion? You're looking pretty hot to trot. <sighs> Tomorrow's the junior social. She's got a date with Megalon! Minnie-Illa, shut up, my god! <laughs> He's captain of the Naikaiju Destroyers, and they're gonna French kiss! <laughs> I am totally gonna kill you! Hey, gal, easy, yo. Don't get your wings in a bunch. <laughs> Minnie-Illa, why don't you put your detective skills to work and find Uncle Gamera a drink? You got it, dude! <laughs> Wait a minute. Is that... The shell from hell? The Grinch from the trench? Making total, total destruction, destruction look, look like a cinch? You've got the breath. And you've got the feet. A, a lizard and a turtle that can't be beat. Camera! Godzilla. Zilla. Zilla. Ba 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 bum Woo! <laughs> oh my god, you guys are so embarrassing. I'm going to my room. What are you doing here, pal? Well, I was just passing through town. I want to see if I could crash here for a few days. Ah, oh, jeez. I don't know, Gamera. Things are getting kind of nuts around here. Gigan's in a lot of trouble and Gauss has a dance. King Ghidorah's coming over for dinner tomorrow. Plus, I have to ask Mothra and you know how she is. Hey, don't sweat it, man. I can help out around the house. I can watch the kids. I mean, Gamera is friend to all children. Yeah, about that. Are you still on that list? Mini-Illa, my Avril Lavigne city is ruined! You are dead meat, you hear me? You're hired. <laughs> We've had quite the adventure in Giant Monsters, but there's so much more to say, we're not quite done yet. Prepare for one more segment of this tangential conversation. Or tangential conversation. I don't know what either of those words mean. Let's talk about the genitals of Giant Monsters. No, actually, I mean, there's... You know what, yeah, that's something we haven't touched on. <laughs> um, <laughs> could it destroy a building? Like, say Godzilla got a little aroused, would it pop out and puncture a building? Okay, guys. Are we, we talking Godzilla or Zilla? Well, why don't you tell us? Let's, let's talk about both. And maybe you guys can, well, correct, correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't think Godzilla has ever taken a dump. Now, Zilla, I'm pretty sure that, I'm pretty sure there was some scene involving Zilla taking a dump or pissing or something because Matthew Broderick had to get that pregnancy test done. Oh my gosh, that's right. I remember I the pregnancy test happening. I remember that being a plot element, but I don't remember how it happened. Me neither. There was a, there was a deleted scene where he's standing underneath with just a, a, a whatever they're called like a one touch just <laughs> it's Matt, it's like the size of a bus and he's just holding it all the way up before it to urinate it's, onto it's weird the parts of the film that i remember um yes it is cap the be, weird the parts that you remember well, because i you know i don't remember how he got a urine sample for the pregnancy test but i remember him tearing apart uh some kind of a convenience store looking for a pregnancy test and all the other cast members were like what the fuck are you doing man he's like i gotta find a pregnancy test <laughs> <laughs> that movie sucks. Oh, why couldn't they just look at all the eggs in that building and go, yup, babies. <laughs> it was on the other day, believe it or not, and oh. I was like tempted, but kind of not tempted to watch it. Luckily, there was something else on that I was like, yeah, watch that instead. <laughs> I, mean, I am preparing for a kaiju episode. Not going to watch Godzilla <laughs> 1998. No way. Now, see, another just kaiju in general. Here's something that we didn't talk uh, talk about that might actually include that was Big Man Japan. Yes. Did any of those monsters do anything crazy? We were up in the press room at GMX in Nashville, Tennessee. Myself and Hex and Doug and Jana. There was the craziest shit on that video screen. 
and <laughs> explain to me. I was not there. Brandon, I can't even really begin to explain. Suffice it to say, you got to watch this film. It's called Big Man Japan. It is like... Okay, I don't remember the name of this game. There's this game that was one of the earlier games released on the PlayStation Store when you could download games from PS1 that were from Japan and not Chouaniki. translated. Is it Chouaniki? With the, the big muscle people? Right. Oh, you no, put, oh, oh yeah, Chouaniki. Yeah, That's you, you play as... You, it's basically... And it's a, creepiest thing ever. It's like a space fighter game, except you play as like, like nude uh, muscle men who like spin <laughs> and shoot things out of their mouth. And then you, the bosses you fight have like giant robotic penises, which are like people's heads coming out and all weird shit. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. This is a giant monster film that's basically that so perfect movie then yeah okay i've that never seen anything like Japanese. it i'm likely to never see anything like it ever can you again post a link to it so i can find it we will post a link to where you can watch or pick it up on this episode's page okay. you i wish there was some way i could express that film on this episode but really impossible it is actually impossible so don't take my word for it but check this out <laughs> big man japan <laughs> Actually, I do know where you can find it. It's actually free if you have Amazon Prime uh, on Amazon Instant Video. There you go. Well, we'll link to that that link, that specific link on this episode's page, Big Man Japan. Uh, what were you guys, what, before I hijacked that, what were you guys going to say about Big Man Japan? I don't know if there's really much to say. Like you, like you said, it's really hard to explain, except I can kind of explain it, but just through the monsters. Like... Simply just because, like, gosh, there's, I don't know, it's about, a, like, a sumo wrestler, a sumo wrestler kaiju, I guess, with a big afro, and he just, he fights all the weird, there's, like, an office monster, or, like, not really an office monster, but, like, a traditional Japanese stereotypical businessman, which I think is hilarious, because they're aware of the businessman stereotype in Japan, <laughs> like, who's got, like, a giant, like, uh, slinky neck, and I think, I think that's what it was, maybe it was, and then there's, like, a, a headless kaiju with like a giant long eyeball penis thing. And, <laughs> and it like, that's what it, it like throws it at big man, Japan. And he like, I don't know. Now what is, who is it's, big man, Japan? What is big man, Japan? Like, is it uh, another monster, a giant yeah, big man? Yeah. That, like I said, he's, he's a, like a sumo wrestler. Oh, like, that's he's big just man. A, Japan. He's a big man. And oh, he's basically okay. a sumo wrestler with a big Afro. It's a big man. He's from Japan, big man, Japan. There you go. It's pretty awesome. Okay, here's a little story that you might know, but it's definitely one worth telling because it's related to giant monsters. Kim Jong-il once abducted a South <laughs> Korean director. Basically, he's considered the Orson Welles of South Korea. His name's Shin Sang-ok. Oh, this just got real in here. And, or Ok. Shin Sang-ok. Maybe, let's go, let's say Ok. Doc Ok. We'll call him Doc Ok. Um, <laughs> he abducted this director, jailed him, fed him grass, and then forced him to shoot a socialist Godzilla film. Wait, like, they actually filmed a Godzilla. Kim Jong-il is a big fan of film. Well, not he, anymore. But, well, was a big fan of film. <laughs> but he thinks that everybody's doing it wrong. He's like, where are the messages about communism, y'all? And so he abducted this guy and his wife, bags over their heads with chloroform in it. They were in prison for four years. He didn't even know if his wife was alive because it was an all-male prison camp. Then after four years... Kim Jong-il's like, hey, um, you're the guest of honor at my party. And his wife's there and he's like, oh my God, what's happening? He's like, sorry, I wasn't able to get to you guys sooner. I I'm really unhappy with what my, my f North Korean government sanctioned film house is producing these days. I want you guys to, to head up my film studio. And so he produced a bunch of films for him. And among them is a, essentially a Godzilla ripoff that was created at Kim Jong-il's request for North Korean audiences. It's called Polgasari. Polgasari? Polgasari. Wow. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a monster of the people. When the wicked king oppresses the people, a jailed blacksmith molds a tiny character out of rice. 
declaring that he will use the last spark of his creative power to bring the doll to life. Paul Gasari was played by uh, Kimpachiro Satsuma, the second actor to wear the Godzilla suit, actually flown in from Japan, not abducted. Um, <laughs> wow. Are you serious? Yeah. This is a real movie. Uh, who soon, who, he, he dressed up as the lumbering Google-eyed Paul Gasari. Yeah, this is, all this information is, uh, is from, it's kind of by proxy, but uh, Doc Ock actually wrote, I, I, I should actually call him by his name, uh, Shin, <laughs> Shin, Shin wrote a book about- so I'm sure he's allowed to listen to this. About this experience. Well, no, he, he escaped. That's how he- he actually escaped in the 1980s. From is this kind of like an Argo, but in Korea? <laughs> it's, it's like Argo, except that all the movies are real. Oh, okay. Uh, basically, the full story. After, after that point, he was basically imprisoned, but he was still able to make movies under the, the, the crazy dictations of Kim Jong-il. Several years went by. He produced a lot of work. Uh, they tried to... The, the North Koreans tried to play up that he didn't, he wasn't abducted, he defected of his own free will. <laughs> they created a bunch uh -huh. of lies, and the guy's still actually trying to overcome the lies that Kim Jong-il spread about him, and like, because, you know, obviously South Koreans are very sensitive about anybody who would devote time to North Korea and all that, and produce cinema. Uh, and they were being, some of them were being released, uh, of course, no one gave a shit, but some of them were being released <laughs> in South Korea, in fact, even the Godzilla So film. we can actually watch this movie, or has it been, like, forbidden? Ooh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. What I do know is that, um, was finally released in 1998. So I'm just going to say you're not a real uh, Godzilla fan or monster <laughs> or kaiju fan unless you've seen this movie. This is, this is the movie you need to see to call yourself a fan. So if you haven't, you it, just should. It was finally released in 1998 after it was like it was created in the early 80s. So I bet it looks it, wonderful. It was a while. Uh, yeah, I bet it looks great. Uh, <laughs> it, it bombed and a total of about a thousand people saw it during its limited release. Is that what started the downfall of, of Kim Jong-il? I would uh, suspect his that health it was... declined right after that movie bomb, mm. didn't it? Uh, yeah, no, that would be... No. That's, that's <laughs> if, 1998. Yeah, you know, it takes I, 10 if years. If I found out about this sooner, there would have been 1,003 people who would want to... <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's more details on uh, the Godzilla knockoff, Pulgasari. He eats iron to grow, and he, he starts off as a cherubic toddler and soon becomes a horned beast whose claws... Uh, are the size of a person. He starts small and he grows throughout the film. Yeah. He eats iron, not like capitalists or... Well, th things <laughs> yeah. get really weird with the story. There, I'll, I'll post a link to where you can uh, check out an article about the story that was presented in this book from The Guardian, which was published in 2003. Kim Jong-il wrote a book called On the Art of Cinema, where he had <laughs> very st very strict guidelines of what you should... what constitutes a good film of course a good film being the only film you can make i learned everything um, from that book and <laughs> and, uh, and as a result in this pulgasari giant monster film there are quote seemingly endless shots of the people's folk dances <laughs> really <laughs> yeah i really want to watch this movie yeah, me too man i want to check um, it out I no i me too <laughs> Can we can we stream this thing live for everyone to like watch with yeah, I'm us? I'm going to go ahead and say that unless it's um, say a conflict of interest that could cause say um, maybe some sort of a nuclear conflict, <laughs> it's probably within our rights to stream this film that has, I assume, no copyright law applied to it. So yeah, probably. Well, no, <laughs> Japan's got our back, and Alaska has already has the missile tower set up. So I think we're all good. Yeah, let's do it. Two and three South Koreans now wish that their country had nuclear arms. This is just to get real here for a moment. Okay. <laughs> just saying. You can't hug with nuclear arms. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you can't <laughs> hug a baby with nuclear arms. Dead. <laughs>
Or Pogasari, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> More giant monstery stuff. Dude, you should you should totally talk about um uh the repaintings. Oh yeah, this is this is like my one of the coolest facts. We could take uh Kaiju back into the realm of TV, which brings us to Tokusatsu and Super Sentai shows. Sure. Our associate but and buddy on uh the Wicked Anime podcast, the uncommon writer Sean, he is all about Sentai and Tokusatsu. So we picked his brain about a whole bunch of weird and awesome facts that are Sentai and uh, Kaiju, Tokusatsu, all that sort of stuff. Ultraman being the first Tokusatsu hero started in 1966, and they had like a Monster of the Week type of thing going on there. And then when Sentai came along, originally they didn't have, you know, Megazord and stuff like that, where the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers... Uh, it, to us was the more important one. And that's the start of where Daikaiju came in and, you know, giant monster fights. Now the cool, like the cool little facts that you learn about uh, monster suits from Sentai and Super Sentai shows is that they actually had such a low budget that they used to reuse the rubber suits for the monsters on like an episode, an episodic basis. Fuck. Where, where they would just take them and either just repaint the color scheme or just put new pieces onto it to make it look like a different monster, which I thought is just like the, the funniest thing, you know, and there's a series out now called um, Akiba Ranger, which is a, a hilarious show. It's, it's made by the same guys who do all of the Power Rangers. Yeah, all of what like we that. know as Power Rangers in Japan. Okay. They have interesting that called- they adopted the, the Ranger title after all yeah, this time. Um, mm-hmm. there, there is actually a lot of Rangers like go Ranger and, uh, well shows and, what I know. That's why you're the experts <laughs> yeah. and stuff and stuff like that. But, um, they, they parody all of the tropes that Sentai has picked up over the years and they have enemies in the show who look exactly the same. Like they did, of the monsters that they beat in the last episode and they like call the monster out on it. And he's like, no, what are you talking about? Like the monster like literally tells him my color scheme is completely different than that last monster. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's awesome. And it's just a complete satire on the shows that the company who produces this show have made themselves. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> well, sen- talking about Sentai is a good opportunity to segue into the other part of what we need to discuss in this episode, the big elephant in the room we haven't hit on. The enemies an of elephant, giant monsters. Oh, yeah. Yep. Teenagers with attitude. <laughs> right. Just vermin. We could make a laundry list here, and I, I don't know how much is to be, to be said about this exactly, but humanity creates giant robots to fight these monsters. Ancient civilization creates giant robots to fight these monsters. Sometimes you, I don't know, fertilize a rose bush with your dead daughter and then use Godzilla <laughs> cells to crossbreed with a plant that crashed during an earthquake and it turns into a giant plant that seems like maybe it's a bad guy, but then inevitably fights Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did that, ha- that happen? That's Biolante. Oh, Jesus. That is the fuck. story of Biolante. What? <laughs> <laughs> Someone wrote that? It, it 1989 Godzilla film post reboot. Really, that is really weird because just yesterday I experienced something similar. <laughs> Do tell. In your in your personal life, you experienced something similar. Indeed. <laughs> okay, what you got? That's it. No, I'm not telling anyone. Just hey, letting you know. Not cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> there are no natural enemies of these giant monsters. There, there, They're are, there are actually natural enemies of the giant monsters. For example, lack of oxygen. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> many uh, other giant monsters are the enemy of giant monsters. For uh, like, Gamera had to fight many giant monsters that 
either came from space or some somewhere else, you know. Gamera started as a villain, but then all of a sudden, not so much. He was just cranky at the beginning. He's just a grumpy old He's turtle. Just grumpy. But man, that little that He so should that have fought. If they were smart, they should have made him fight a giant bunny rabbit. That would have been that would <laughs> have been hair, if you will. Someone yeah. corrected me the other day and said, They're two different things. And I said, I don't care. You said, go fuck yourself, grandma. Yeah. yeah. TFU, grandma. <laughs> but yeah. But I don't think they get that analogy over there. Mm. They don't have that. No. Ninja oh. kick the damn rabbit. Um. <laughs> I can tell you what is not a natural enemy of the giant monster. That would be military. Yes. No yes. missiles, guns. Because they always end up doing more damage than the monster yes, itself. I, I love, 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 love the fact that in every single Godzilla movie, if Japan, if the Japanese just let Godzilla do his thing, less of Japan would be destroyed in every movie. Three Whether, quarters through the film, they always realize, oh, fuck, we really shouldn't have done it. It kind of seems like there's a message in every film saying the military doesn't know what they're doing and shouldn't be allowed to do what they're doing. Well, see, but Japan always has their own space laser or a... Uh, man-made tsunami like pointed straight at japan ready to destroy the monster and godzilla and they always fail they always miss and they always do a terrible job and the japanese are really their own worst enemy in that case so i think we've learned that the greatest monsters of all are man which is really (laughs) in most cases the lesson that comes out of these films um, we're, we're always somewhat responsible for creating them. Godzilla was created by, you know, atomic explosions. We're to blame. Even, even freaky things like, you know, Biolante, uh, is science gone wrong. Gamera, the, in the nineties Gamera films, if I remember correctly, you know, like there's, there's some ancient evil that Gamera will fight and there's some shit from space. Really the enemy becomes, uh, the unknown, you know, like there's the the threat of a of a giant monster, but then you realize the giant monster is a force of nature itself. It's an embodiment of the earth or the spirit of the earth. It's a natural state of things for these creatures to do what they're doing. And only when mankind interferes does something worse happen. For example, Space Godzilla, as he's often called, the motherfucker with crystals coming out of his back and all that. That that's his nickname. That was a byproduct of cells of Godzilla, like because Godzilla <laughs> Was that a human intervention? It was well. It was actually it wasn't human. Intervention. It was they. It's not ever explained, but it was either Biolante or Mothra's fault that cells ended up in space. Cells end up in space. It comes into contact with a black hole, and somehow that mutates and creates a space Godzilla, which descends to Earth and uh, wreaks havoc. And it can he can always find his way back. I'm not really sure who's to blame there, but it's it's a clusterfuck. I'll tell you that much. But ultimately, the problem is humanity created Godzilla, and for some reason, he is unfucking killable. Like. Didn't he just go back to sleep at the end of every episode? Yeah. Or episode. Every, end of, every, every episode. It may as well be a serialized television show. There's so many films. Well, and then we're not getting into Hanna-Barbera, are we? <laughs> I guess Oops. that's a big fucking cave full of mo- fucking spider monkeys, man. Godzilla! Godzilla! That's you know, you know who's a natural goes. enemy of monsters, too? I'm going to say giant monsters. Van Helsing. No. I, <laughs> God, No. <laughs> Don't, even, don't ever say that to me again. No, um, I was going to say giant swords that shoot laser beams. <laughs> yes. Because you see, like, in everything, there's, like, everything where the, the, main, the main guys get, like, their hands on a giant robot, or they form Voltron, or do whatever, there's always a sword, and they always slice at the enemy, and then the enemy explodes. And so, that happens a lot. So, if you've got a well, giant sword the size of a skyscraper, I think that would help. 
Yeah, it's. I think it's. I think it's because it's a cheaper effect than to actually have a sword swung at a costume to actually just you know point it and have a goofy laser. And then like fireworks go off, and you're like, I must have hit it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, it's funny that you mentioned swords and stuff because just recently, um, you know, Monster Hunter Three Ultimate came out, and uh, Mm. and I I bought it because it's Monster Hunter and it's. It's kind of fun. Like, you know, they don't start out as kaiju or daikaiju, but as you go on through the game, oh, yeah. they are significantly bigger than you are, but you still manage to kill them somehow. It's an hour-long battle, but you kill one of them at some point. Pretty much, yeah. In Xenogears, sometimes mm. you're in the, the giant robot suit, and you're wandering around, and you end up fighting a creature as big as your mech. It's true. It's kind of like that's somewhat terrifying. It's kind of like if it, and you know they discovered all those those mechs under the ground. It's like if they hadn't discovered them, what happens when you run into a jellyfish the size of a building? Because right. they exist. <laughs> I'm like, well, I guess the world gets killed from giant electric. <laughs> they're electric and they shoot electric beams out of them. So yeah, that that's it's, just it's an unnerving thing. Giant worms, the sandworms. Mm. Basically, everyone yeah. on the planet should have been killed a long time ago. <laughs> That would be like modern day today if you had dinosaurs like T-Rexes running around and we didn't have any weapons to defend against them. Well, there'd be an economy based on like Pokemon. <laughs> you gotta people throwing <laughs> balls at T-Rex and then getting getting eaten. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we close this out, we got a very important question that is going to be proposed to us. Propose the question, Wicked Anime, please. Okay, we want to know. we're gonna do this individually too but we want everybody else involved in this too is what one giant monster would you bring to a giant monster fight if you had all your cards laid out on the table and you were going all in which one would you count on to beat them all i've already got mine picked out i do too actually who wants to go first (laughs) i will go i don't really remember that much um what it looks like but the giant monster from aratsuka doji which is an <laughs> old, old anime and, you know, one of the first tentacle things. Um, basically, it's a huge monster. Like, I don't even... Was he the size of, like, an entire city, I believe? Yeah, he, um, he eventually got there because he started yeah. out as, like, a high school kid. His main weapon were, like, giant flailing tentacle penises, like, the size of buildings. And he's pretty much unstoppable. And I think if Godzilla went up against him, he would get dick slapped several hundred times before he could even get off his atomic breath. So that's who I would bring to the... Uh, the kaiju fight. And at a certain point in the movie, he starts spraying stuff out of him, I believe. So, yeah, <laughs> well, it I mean, is a hentai, so uh, that would be very much possible. That would make things either, you know, a lot, a lot grosser. You know. That's that's something you'll probably never hear ever is is, hey, this porn has an anime that or has a, has something that's unbeatable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think reading out of the dictionary will, you know. Put those no. words together ever again. I found this clip, Cap. I don't know if this is from Aratsuka Doji or what, but I found that little image. Uh, uh, Brandon here has... he. Uh, <laughs> it's like a shop owner and a little girl looks yeah, eight. He's got some kind of... Uh, Brandon found some kind of lolicon porn here. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a little hentai girl who's like eight and giving like a 50-year-old it, Japanese shop man like a handjob. And I don't know why. A magical handjob by the looks of it. That popped up when Thank I you, typed Brandon. in Aratsuka Thank you for showing that to me. Yep. So um, let's see. We have... Uh, Redline, the movie Redline, good movie, which came out, uh, you know, uh, directed by awesome, the basically the Japanese Michael Bay, <laughs> Takashi Koike, Takashi Koike. So you know this, this monster is going to make things explode, is uh, near the end of the movie when, uh, yes, the real name of the monster, Funky Boy, shows up. Yeah, uh, okay. This is, this is the giant monster, Funky Boy. He is a giant worm, like, made out of nuclear energy. Yeah, made out, made out of pure nuclear energy. And his weapon 
is a supersonic nuclear scream that can destroy planets. Oh, wow. You know, I've seen the first 10 <sighs> minutes of Would this movie. Would you call that a weapon? Because it sort of eclipses weapon. <laughs> well, let's just, let's just put it this way. It was, I, I suppose maybe, because he uses it in the movie, it doesn't destroy the planet, but it's pretty destructive. There's, there's significantly less cars after he uses it, and there's a big explosion. It's pretty nuclear. That movie's pretty great, Cap. I've seen, like, the first 10 minutes. I don't know why I never finished it. But it's good. Yeah, you should really finish it. Yeah. How do we feel about giant monsters that are also humans? If they're giant monsters, then why not? Yeah, if they're considered daikaiju, go for it. Okay, this is, uh, this is an odd one. Uh, mine is the warrior dragon from Ninja Turtles. Uh, he's, his actual name is Chu Si, and he's a uh, Chinese-American firefighter <laughs> who is um, trapped in a burning bu- building, and a, an old Asian shop owner had this sort of a, this knick-knack that had been empowered by a dragon spirit and was used to get them both out of the building. He Im- imbued this guy with this warrior dragon spirit, and it's basically a, uh, uh, a Chinese-style dragon it's a it essentially he shapeshifts there's the warrior dragon has sort of a an element to it but ultimately uh Chusi was is still sort of in control of of this dragon and uh he's got he's got fire breath and so on and but i suppose the most important feature of him is that he can actually control the size that he is he can he can meet so he becomes a giant monster right he can he can either be you know a seven foot tall like approachable can crouch inside of a house dragon or he can <laughs> fight a massive you know 30 story tall foot soldier as was the case once upon a time in the teenage mutant Ninja turtles adventures so i'd say the reason the reason i'm putting him in here is that you know not only does he have all the attributes of a traditional kaiju in addition to some cool armor he has you know intellect enough to actually do he has a brain yeah so he can think yeah and you guys may actually know him if you guys collected turtles figures at all released in a completely different color scheme with a completely different name as hothead I do huh. not have an Asian man dragon in my Ninja Turtles collection. And he was, uh, he's, he's yellow in the comics, but he was red when they released him. Oh, that's cool. Is he related to Savage Dragon? No, that is a much lesser <laughs> dragon in my book. <laughs> <laughs> my turn then? Yes. yes. All right. So um, for me, I am going to bring to the battle the spirit god from Studio Ghibli's Princess Mononoke. Oh, that's Neat. a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. <laughs> yeah. Now, he, when he's good, he's just like a weird deer uh type thing with like really strange antlers but then he was killed and he wasn't really killed yeah he wasn't really killed but but when he was struck down he morphed into this giant like just if it touched anything it was like a blob that just killed whatever it touched and 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 i think it had like grabbing tentacles and stuff like that and it, it just sucked the life out of whatever it touched and which is weird because it's the forest spirit so it's like well because after they brought it down it turned into like flowers and, well because i think yeah. it was dying yeah it became uh, the the antithesis of itself um right it was upset but man yeah that's a that's a good one i don't honestly well, it turned it turned into that not not where you know at, at, they said i think at night or whatever yeah. he would turn into that giant gelatinous beast thing but he wouldn't you know it wouldn't kill but things. It, it didn't it wouldn't, it like, didn't destroy. It wouldn't no but i think when they you know shot his head off which is you know a great scene yeah he was just like this thing of death now because his he was just dying he was just grasping at everything and trying to get his head back 
Yeah, I mean, really, un- even another another giant monster could not stop that thing. It's just too too goopy and lethal. Like unless you unless you do what they did in the film, there's no stopping it. So that's that's yeah. a fucking great one. <laughs> Keep his See, head now, out from him till sunrise. Yeah. <laughs> See now with with mine as well. Uh, if you haven't seen Redline yet, yeah. The the way that Funky Boy ends his scene is only with another giant monster fighting him, and it never ever ever. Not even at the end of the movie, see you see him get defeated. Just it just moves on from that. So he never gets defeated either. Wow. <laughs> um, literally, the movie ends, and and you, you're thinking to yourself, "There's still a giant monster battle going on somewhere in the wasteland. What the heck is what?" <laughs> if you guys, you you lovely sexy listeners out there in your sports coats and your thong underwear, um, crotchless panties, crotch chaps, yes, velvet whips. hospital slippers if you have a giant monster that you want to throw into the battle just hey let us know post about it on the forums we can um maybe start our own version of kaiju combat yeah we'll just see if they want to accept our monsters (laughs) we'll we'll just create our own you know and we'll see you know we'll pay the money be like hey put this monster in there and they'll be like no that's stupid and we'll be like oh okay and we'll cry (laughs) that'd be awesome if there was a nerdy show monster it's 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 a nude brandon propelled by farts no i've got (laughs) i've got a giant bird but its body is made out of a colostomy bag um, so it's a colostomy bag with wings and basically it shoots poop on everything. Is that right? That works, right? That There's sounds monster. like that is E for everyone, Brandon. Yeah. E for everyone. Yep. You know, you know, I'm an artist, right? I can do this up, right? And send them a concept yeah, and everything. Colostomy bag with a beak and wings. Um, let's put, uh, let's put a hold on that. We're going to, we're going to workshop that one a little bit before we uh, send it out. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a million ideas in this brain. He's full of ideas. I just, I don't, I don't stop. That was kind of weird. That was like a, a Tapagachi from Wicked Anime in a Nerdy Show episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why we're buddies, man. That's, that's <laughs> heck yeah. That's why we're all, even, we're all high even fives and, to our needs. Yeah. <laughs> we're all high fives and bro grabs around these parts, right? Uh. All the way from Boston. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Nerdy Show, and for those of you who supported us, thank you so much for making this episode a reality. Now that uh, this episode is out, why? Hmm, just right around the corner, you may find that you will get to decide the topic for a Nerdy Show Prime episode. So don't dawdle, don't wait around. When we launch a new topic support drive, be there in style and suggest your topic. Or if you see one you like, back someone else's because it is coming back and we are going to uh, we're going to do it right this time. <laughs> you could suggest maybe the topic birds if you'd like. Um, <laughs> and you know that would work. So if you get that that's cool. You know, I'm just I'm just throwing stuff out there for you. You could you could make um Brandon's uh where birds came from, how they're, you know, how they fly, what, what, their inner workings. What was it? You know. uh, birds. Cheese, wine, turds and birds. There we go. You, you, yeah. Yeah, you could make And br- I can talk about bird turds. You could make you, know? you could make this uh the show with They uh, got metanephric kidneys, son. <laughs> Brandon. Nitrogen-based waste as urates. You don't even want to get me started. <laughs> you can don't make even. Brandon and Jared's Cheese, Wine, Birds and Turds podcast You want to have a better garden, have a bird shit in it, son. That's nitrogen in your soil. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway man this is both nerdy and turdy and mm-hmm. that in that note let's get the fuck out of here <laughs> bye i'm cap bye i'm brandon bye i'm stupid awesome analyst jonathan bye i'm harder man with harder opinions andrew and taking us out this track's called black genesis new continent by rexy and brandon strader this is from the final fantasy 6 album balance and ruin which just recently came out from oc remix this is their interpretation of the battle music when you fight atma weapon a big freaking monster.
cash. The clerk told him he couldn't open the Herzfrequenz des Fötus und sein It's going to be based on several factors. Hope you have room for more of your favorite story in Suburbanites. There's more How I Met Your Mother right now. Is it just me, or do buffalo wings taste like chicken? <laughs> I believe they are chicken, son. Gamera's a born jokester, King Ghidorah. Always has been, never stopped. Ah, who kicked me? <laughs> this is a lovely meal, Mothra. What did you say it was? <laughs> May I be excused? Not until you finish your supper. I'm full already, and I've really got to finish up my worksheet on determining the mass of protons. Protons have mass? I didn't even know they were Catholic. Oh, <laughs> uh, let the boy go. No need in making him stay put on my account. <sighs> Fine, but you better get an A. Sure thing, Dad. So have you had a chance to look over those increases in skyscraper fortification? I have. They'd make them way tougher to knock down, for sure. But uh, do you think the citizens can possibly afford them? Well, in my experience, the cost of living has never affected its popularity. <laughs> well, sir, even if they go for it, there's nothing they can build that we can't knock down. But it can't slow us down, either. Our business is mass destruction. We have to level the competition. What the what? Oh, God. Gigan! Oops. Uh, well, uh, I guess the massive protons in this wall aren't as dense as I'd expected. Gotta give this one of the Buick. Stealing the car to hang out with those teenagers with attitude problems? You are in big trouble, mister! Now hold on. How would you like a job, son? Wait a minute. That's my date. I'll be back before midnight. Don't it up. Now hold on a second, young lady. Well, honey, when you're right, you're right. Dir ein Imperium auf. When will they stop? Thanks for listening to Nerdy Show. Nerdy Show is made possible by. A Comic Shop, Nerdapalooza, and the generous support of listeners like you. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend, rating and reviewing us on iTunes, or making a contribution in our monthly support drives. Any size contribution gets you exclusive Nerdy Show voxophones and pictograms. Just go to nerdyshow.com support to chip in. For more episodes of Nerdy Show, as well as other fine programs, community forums, kinetoscopes, articles, and more, head over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show Network podcasts via the iTunes Store. And for the latest news, follow us on all your favorite social networks. Whoever gives me this Pacific Rim job is in <laughs> for a treat. Oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> it's going to be salty as the Pacific. It's uh, flavored with Malaysian spices. <laughs> <laughs> uh.